episode 71 of Snakes and Stogies. Speak of the devil. He is not, he's late technically, but he's not late. How, late. how am I technically late? Uh, I don't know. We both weren't here when the, uh, when the intro cut. So if you're early or on time, if you're on time, you're late, Wolf. No, no, no. See, you told me 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And therefore, right now it is 8.59 p.m. Unless your clocks are wrong. Uh, it's digital satellite and it's linked through Apple products. So the I doubt it's wrong. can be wrong. I doubt it's wrong. Hmm. Well, hmm. The jury will remain out on that one. How about that? All right. All right. I'm kidding. What's up, everybody? What's up, buddy? Welcome to Snakes and Stogies. Look, we got matching hats. I literally was about I was about to say that. Mine is all faded. I need a new one. I'm going to get one at Daytona. That's going to be my new tradition. Is... Every year I'm going to get a new Venom Life hat because this one has been through the ringer. That's good. Mine's brand new. I've only worn it for like two weeks. You got the and I got, I got my little hook. A little money clip. Yo, do not you attempt your, to use dollar that. bills in there when you go to the strip club. Just... Oh, you know it. No, you just use your head. Just like that. Yeah. Uh, so this show is brought to you by, as always, Puget Sound Pythons, Ball Pythons, Liasis, uh, Carpets, Dumerals, Boas, all that cool stuff. They breed a lot. They got a lot of cool stuff. They've got some neat stuff in the works. Please go check them out. Facebook and Instagram, Puget Sound Pythons. Not Pudget, like I thought it was for most of my life, until Randy corrected me and said it's Puget. Look, as far as I know, you only said it wrong once. So it's not that maybe, big a deal. Maybe I've gone back and forth in my mind a lot. I think that, you know, <clears throat> Jeff Kendra and I just gave you so much shit that maybe. It, it's maybe. burned in your mind. There's Henry. What's up, Hendog? What's up, Middleton? I miss that guy. I know he's always here, but like I like I miss him, miss him. You know what I mean? So. You know how off the chain Daytona is going to be this year, dude? I'm hoping, man, because we're hyping the shit out of it, you know? Well, Tim Morris is going to be down there, and Middleton nice. is going to be down there. James Opdahl is going to be down there, which that's like oh, man. Know, the trifecta. That is that is They're the, awesome guys to hang out trifecta. with. Opdahl's a trip. That be hilarious. Tim Morris is just it's Tim it's, Morris. It's Tim Morris. I mean, right. Come on. Exactly. Very consider myself very lucky to call myself a friend. I mean, I'm Facebook friends him, with him, him and I regularly. still I still feel special. I never, never would have dreamed. Right? You know, what are you smoking on tonight? I'm going full Justin tonight. I look like a crackhead. I got a flathead like five five four. Oh, I don't think I've had that one yet. Oh, really? We only carry the the six sixties, the red ones. Color. Okay. We don't carry. We've carried some of the other small ones in the past, but I don't remember if. Uh, well, I mean that's that's definitely a like a box press Toro size, you know. Mm -hmm. Andy said they're <laughs> driving down together. It's going to be a disaster. Nice. Um, nice. So I am. You know, I'm not a big Rocky guy, but that decade. That I haven't decade, had it. That's a good smoke. It's one of the few Rocky does really well. Cool man. Um, and then I, I have a blockhead Aquitaine from Romacraft. Excellent. Uh, just so everyone knows, tomorrow I'll be setting up the raffle. 
Yes. Y'all are definitely, if you're, if you haven't participated in a raffle yet, this is going to be the one to participate in. Now, wait, hold on. Before you get into it, are we going to do for like, like gold, silver, bronze, or are we going to do three raffles? What do you mean? Well, like, you know, like first, second, and third. Right. Or, or are we going to do winner take all, one raffle, two raffle, three raffle? I'm not sure I understand. Like three raffles. Like take like the a prizes. Grand, there'll be a grand prize. Okay. Second place, third place, if that makes sense. Yes, it does. That answers my question vividly. <clears throat> so grand prize is going to be a mixed lot of Romacraft. 20 that I put together a little bit of everything on their portfolio. Um, and then the awesome guys at Venom Life are hooking us up with some awesome stuff. Um, I won't reveal it now, but you'll see it tomorrow in the Snakes and Stogies group if you're in there. Um, I guess we could we could say it's equipment and apparel. It so is equipment. It ain't, and it ain't just hats and it ain't just shirts. It's very true. Just saying. Um, I'm thinking this one, I'm going to open up more slots than the usual 25. I'll probably bump it up to, I think, maybe 30. Um, okay. Unless you think we should do it differently. Um, well, let me ask you this. And then we can, finally, of... we can finally bust this guy out. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, so how many how many little balls do you have for the rolly thingy? Oh, there's a ton of them. Okay, because I was thinking about this. Because it is such an awesome raffle, right? And the money is going to charity, right? Yes. This the beneficiary for this one. So I was actually just eating and staring into the void while my child watched some Barbie cartoon. And I thought 10% of this should go to ASF. Of course. 100%. So we'll do that. And then the beneficiary gets the other 90 is going to be HCI. Okay. Arbitological Conservation International. So Mike Clarkson, who was on the cover of the last issue of the magazine. Um, that's a group that I'm doing some work with now. Um doing a lot of cool stuff. Uh, and I also want to get with you about maybe figuring out like a, a core group that we regularly donate to. Um, I agree. That way we're not like only getting money to these groups like once a year, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we'll discuss that and figure that out. Uh, okay, cool. So, yeah. So, so I was thinking be because 25 is, is a pretty good, it's pretty good odds, right? Even 30. Right. And, what if we open it up to all the THNs? Is that too many? What if we did 50? What if we did 100? He's lighting his cigar, folks. Bear with us one moment. I don't, that would be a lot. I don't have that many balls. I don't okay. Really. Okay. Well, right, I mean, so I'm like, we could do 50. And okay, I was going to let people do maximum of two slots. Okay. So, we so let's, bump it let's, up. it's just every time we bump it up, I feel like we don't, we never fill them up. So, well, but that's what I'm saying is let's open it up to the entirety of the THN, the Herbert culture network. And I say, uh, we'll do it up to 50. If you're cool but with they, that, they have to be in the group. They have to be in the group. Okay. Well, that's incentive for them to, to join the group. So, We'll do that, and then do we want to give it a week before we draw a winner? Do we want to give it two weeks before we draw a winner? I say we, we give it a week. Okay. How about this? We'll compromise. Ten days. 
well, I want to be able to do the winner on the on the live like on a show the next the the following show. Oh, you're so, oh, so next Monday for Snakes and Stogies, we'll pull the winner. The, yeah, uh, that way uh, I can, not, that not way I can week, do it live but... and show the the ball, and no one thinks that I'm okay, doing cool. shysty. Excellent. All right. Yeah, yeah, rock and roll. Let's do it. <sighs> Get my camera right. So that'll be awesome. Um, there's going to be more than one winner this round. Like I said, uh, I'll have to figure out something for the second place person because if the second and third place prizes are the same, I don't, I don't know. We can figure that out too. But basically, we we this is the first time we're doing this with Venom Life. Um, Brent on the la the last THP episode we had him on. He said, you know, let me in. I'll you know we'll donate some stuff. So. They really, I was not expecting them to be as generous with their, not that they're not generous guys. I was just, we got more yeah. than we expected. Right. More than right. I expected. So Definitely more than I expected as well. Mm. And and let's just be real, is not only are you getting some fantastic smokes if you do smoke cigars. Um, <laughs> Ryan Cox says, Phil kisses the second place prize to make it more extra. Um, I'll do my damnedest to try and do that for you, Cox. Oh, God. Um. <laughs> but Venom Life Gear hooked it up big time in terms of equipment, as Justin said, equipment and apparel. And it's not all going to one charity. We're giving it to two charities. Yeah. And that's that's a big deal. We're, we're covering bases in terms of herpetoculture and health and safety and everything, man. If Venom Life's gonna gonna donate stuff, then I think we should donate to ASF. Like they of course, it, you know. Of course, absolutely. At least the ten percent is if we had bought it ourselves. Still going, yes. Yeah, actually, yeah. more so because if it if it racks up as much as it has in the past, that'll be a decent decent chunk going to ASF. So yeah, <clears throat> I love it. It's great. Yes, it'll be good. So, um, I was thinking too on the subject of cigars, so. Real quick, y'all often go into shops and you see cigar lighters with two burners, three burner, three burners, four burners, one burner, and sort of what's the difference? Like, what difference does it make? We may have covered this previously. Uh, so it does actually serve a purpose as far as which one you pick. I'll tell you why. See, that's a three burner, right? So <clears throat> single and double torches, I believe are best for your Coronas and your Lanceros. So basically you can overdo it by having a triple or quad torch on a thinner cigar, like a Lancero or a Corona. You will burn the ever living snot out of the sides and stuff, and it might affect the flavor. So when you're dealing with a smaller cigar that you got to light, you want a little more precision. And so you get something like this, like a double, uh, and it makes life a little easier. So, if that, doing, was a, that was a Zycar? This is a Calibri. Okay. This is that that Calibri that I got that yeah. every now and then I I that's it's funny like my lighters have gotten to the point to where it's like choosing which car to drive as far as which one I want to carry on me day to day and today it was a Calibri so <clears throat> uh Yeah, so if you're doing something like a 60 gauge uh, and above if you even smoke cigars that large uh you obviously a double or a single torch is going to take a lot longer to get that lit evenly so that's when a triple or quad torch would come in handy and uh make life a little bit easier so 
things to consider when you're shopping for lighters. What size are you looking to do? I think if you're doing like a standard Toro, um, you know, anywhere between 52 and 56 ring gauge, I think a triple or a double will be fine. You could do a quad if you wanted to. I just find that that seems like overkill. Um, yeah, I'd agree. And then speaking of lighters, so I posted that the lighters were supposed to come today and I went and checked tracking and they're actually coming tomorrow. Okay. At least they're in round. So I have, I, I went ahead and wrote out all the envelopes and stuff today to send them out uh, whenever they're, whenever they're ready. Um, I may actually have to order a couple more because I'm thinking I may have oversold. Really? We'll see. Because Hanson and the Australian gang um, got some, and I, I kept track of a, on the spreadsheet, but I may not have added him to that spreadsheet as he paid for it. And so we'll see. Um, I did actually order a uh, a couple extra just because I knew there'd be some last minute people. It was only right, like right. two or three, but um, I'll have to see what's going on with that. So okay. Uh, and how does that torch insert for the Zippos? Are you asking like as in how does it or how is it? Like I I've always had success with them. Now, the Zippo never, brand ones are awesome. Yeah. That's and I lost them. So now that I know that the lighters are inbound, I'm gonna have to hit up Amazon tonight or tomorrow. Yeah, get the definitely so. I'd I'd highly recommend the Zippo brand. It's a double burner. It's not a single. Um they're awesome, but the Zippo brand ones, the, my only gripe with the Zippo ones is you don't have a window to tell how much fuel you have in it. So you kind of have to periodically refill it or it'll just weigh out. So, yeah, uh, or run out. Uh, I don't know. I'm, I can't speak. I will say this going back on the topic of lighters. So I usually I'm a Maduro guy. I'm a Toro size guy. I like stuff to be a little more bold. I don't really mind if I burn it a little bit too hot. Um, but a big thing too is keeping your distance. So like I have this cigarette butt in my hand for those of you who are actually watching. So I have three burners on this one and I'm gonna, I'm gonna shoot it out like this and you can see how close it can get before you see it starting to hit. And I'm nowhere even near that flame, right? Yeah. So you don't have to hold it right on there and scorch it. Right. You know, take your time with it, you know, pace yourself, keep some well, distance. Ideally, what you want to do, and this is already lit, bear in mind, but when you light it, you don't want to put it straight in there and, and like really get it in there. You want to toast it. So you want to hold it far away and very evenly, you know, scorch it. Basically, you're, you're wanting to burn it at the lowest possible temperature to where it's still burning. Because the cooler it burns, the more flavor you're going to get. It's not going to taste, quote, burnt as dumb as it sounds. Um, yeah, that, so that you, is a thing. You want to toast it. You want to get it burnt evenly. You know, obviously we've all had cigars that burned all jacked up because they weren't lit all the way or, you know, bad roll, whatever it happens. But, uh, yeah, I mean, like you got this thing's probably a solid eight inches, six inches from the very tip of that flame. And it's I can see it doing its thing. So you don't have to throw it right in the, the hottest part of that that torch. Yeah, and for and for those of you who maybe have a problem, if you're just getting into it and you're you're noticing that the first third or the second third of the cigar is getting hotter than you'd like, if it's burning hotter and you've got more core temperature than you'd prefer, um, 
I've found that that's from having too much heat really quick and drawing too much. So you may want to like smoke too fast, smoking too fast. Right. You may want to ease up your draw a little bit, at least until you get to like the midway point and just kind of, you know, pace yourself. Cause remember we're enjoying it, you know, it's, it's relaxing. And so you'll know when you're burning it too fast and this, you, it's, it's not happening right now, but you'll see this get turned into a sharp point like a pencil. And that's how you know you're burning it too quick. And so the best way to, to curb that is just sit it down for five minutes, let it cool off. And then you just tap it and it should go back to being even. Um, Cause what it, maybe a lot of people don't realize is the combustion rates of the different tobaccos does vary. So the fair and the binder are uh they don't burn as quickly as the wrapper does so there are different combustion rates and that could play a part in that so if you are smoking too fast you'll notice it'll get a really sharp point on it um and you know just need to set it down and give it a break <clears throat> which it may happen for me because i smoke fast so i'll show it when it does yeah yeah that's actually what you're going for is you want even burn I got a little, I got a little excited with the lighter, and that's what that's from. You know, I don't really roll my box presses as much as I probably should when I initially light it. So even though it looked like it was a clean, a clean break, so to speak, I may have hit that one side just a little too hot. But leaving it alone, relaxing my drag, that'll kind of fix it in theory. Um, in other news, I came home. My female corn started laying this morning. If you're in the group, you saw the picture. Yeah. Um, Came home, she had finished laying, got an 11 egg clutch that are now in the incubator. So we're looking at the beginning of January, like the first week of January, I believe. Uh, not January, July. Jesus. Um, very excited about that. That's been a long time coming. Um, female Bairds is working on her prelay shed, it looks like right now. So hopefully some eggs from those within the next three-ish weeks or so. Um yeah. Hell yeah, brother. Did you see the pictures of the, the habitat systems rack? No, I don't think I did. Did I send you those? No, not personally. So, you guys know how I got that awesome rack. But the panels were riveted in. The heat doesn't seem to be cutting on. So I'm like, what's going on? So last night, I drilled out all those rivets on the side and took that panel off. And it's a very odd and interesting setup. So... There's six slots horizontally uh, going up the side, the entire side of the seven-foot rack. Uh, and then in each of those six slots, there's two slots that go in. And each one of those holds a 38-inch uh, piece of FlexWatt that's two inches wide. And those are all daisy-chained up the side. So... Uh, it's the older connectors. I don't like, I've looked, I can't even find two inch flex what anymore. Like that's not even a thing now. Like, yeah. Yeah. So now I have to figure out, I'm going to get a multimeter and check each, each spot and see if maybe there's one part that's, that's struggling. Um, but I may end up just redoing the entire thing, but I got to see if I can fit three inch tape in there. If I can't, then I don't know what I'm going to do. Like basically this thing's going to just, I'm going to have to modify it myself somehow. And, uh, yeah. Or, trying to do or, a project piece. But you know what though? But let's be real as, as tedious as the electronics is and like taking your voltmeter and checking everything and taping stuff off and crimping stuff and making sure that the thing doesn't blow up. That's a pain in the ass, but the build is, is done. 
You know what I mean? Right, right. And that that's that's you got to rem- remind yourself that like the real work is done. It's the tedious stuff, and then you being you know educated into it, it makes it a little more meticulous because you know exactly what you want, and you're not getting it exactly how you want it. So I, I get it. So yeah, I just it's. I don't know. Like I, I sent the pictures to Janet Blackbox, and I showed them to Sean and Tim Morris and some other people, and got their thoughts on it. And they were, you know, Jen's consensus was that looks dangerous. So yeah, yeah. I don't know. Gonna have to play around with it. Um, I why they riveted, and I'm glad I just did the side and not the back. Because if I had done the back, I probably would have just wasted my time and completely destroyed the back of this thing. So glad I did the side panel. Um, I'm probably just going to end up getting some screws or something and like attaching it back that way. Uh, Once I get it all sorted out, it's just, it's morphed into a, a project piece. So, but it's going to be stupendous when it's done. Yeah. It's just finding the time. Like I only had yesterday off. I work today because I have a three day weekend coming up, but I got family stuff this this coming up weekend. So it's just, but I got animals in it. And so I need to get the heat in there and get it working. And it's just, you know. Yeah, I know the feeling. That old chestnut. That old chestnut. What's new down there in Florida? Well, I hadn't been out in the glades in a while. And, uh, started seeing a new lady friend and I, uh, she showed an interest in, she's actually watching this right now. She showed an interest and, uh, we went out in the glades last night and, uh, for her first trip out, it was pretty good. Got, uh, got five species of snake, uh, banded waters, brown Florida waters, um, uh, Eastern ribbon, uh, a like six month old cottonmouth, um, black racer that I didn't try and catch. And uh, copious amounts of alligators and some rambunctious Virginian possums. But uh, so that was good. It was good to get out there. I hadn't been out there in a while and the weather's been a little cold, a little brisk lately. So not the best. Um, it was actually 64 last night out in the glades. So I was I was shocked to see that many like Nerodian stuff out, which I thought was cool. Hoping for a rat snake. Didn't get that lucky, but I'll take a cottonmouth. Absolutely. Um yeah, man, animals are the same. You know, I, I have that uh, 1.4 uh, uh Colionix, Colionix Matratus, excuse me. Um, those things are savages, man. Like, just <laughs> feeding them, and you can, like, you can tell there's, like, one diesel girl, and uh, they're all not, I, don't, I wouldn't call them adults. They're probably breeder size, but they're still a little on the smaller size, which I kind of like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, at least gives me a better uh, age range in terms of what, you know, how old they are. Uh, but dude, just, they go bananas for crickets, man. It's amazing. <laughs> so, oh, hen dog. Look, man, I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna field collect a bunch of food <laughs> with a brand new herper. You really want to give mango <laughs> parasites? Oh, no, we don't worry about that. Mango's fine. Mango has stock and pandicure. And Henry, you'll get your your damn feeder snakes when you get me my bimaculata pictures. Oh, how about that? How about that, Henry? Justin was so sick and tired of me skirting the bimaculata that he went straight to the horse's mouth. 
So yeah, uh, same old, same old on my front. I still have that uh, Honduran Jumping Viper that looks like she's going to explode any minute and has not dropped a single baby slug or anything. All right, at this point, I'm kind of hoping that's just a giant turd, you know, because that would just make my life that much easier, although it would be pretty cool to have a bunch of baby Jumping Vipers. They are freaking adorable. And uh, Those things are neat. I feel like like there, there are people. I don't know if they're still there, Henry. That's why I need you to find out. I probably won't even end up buying any because I don't have anything to throw at it right now. Well, I'll tell you this: the uh, the inland uh, carpets are gone. I I I'm glad I didn't buy them. I'm glad because yeah, it's what it is. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Henry, how are you going to ask me if they're still there? You're the one that's that's there regularly. I don't I don't know. I just go by whatever the website and morph market say. <laughs> So, but yeah, man, everything else is good. Baby Rink ate another pinky, so that's good. always good. And uh, life goes on. Very good. Uh, all six cyanide are doing fine. Waiting on first sheds before I do feeding trials. I have not had any die, which has been great. I had like one or two with that first clutch that after they came out of the egg and I got them set up, they were just dead. I think one of them may have even drowned. Um, which is why I was very hesitant to put water bowls in right away. I decided to give them a, a couple days uh, before I put water bowls in there. So, okay. Ben, you yeah. need to take pictures of these Boiga, man. But now, you uh, just going off of memory, you, you put all the babies in uh, Sterilite with wet paper towels and mist them down, right? Yeah. Okay, so they 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 can hydrate if they need to. They're just right. not going to drown right. it, right? Just right. like chondros, just keep them wet the first week or so. Um, they seem to take a little longer for first sheds than other snakes. Like I noticed with that first clutch, it took probably closer to two weeks before you got first sheds. So, well, let me ask you this: going on the topic of first sheds, so maybe it's because um, I'm old as dirt, but we always referred to first shed as shedding the silver coat. And I had brought it up when I was at Billy's place some months back, Casey was there with us and I had brought this up and, and I was like, Oh wow, that's, that thing's gorgeous. Did it, did it lose a silver coat yet? I'm talking about like a baby carpet or something. And Billy was like, what are you talking about? I was like the first shed jungle skin. Like with imports, that's imports though. Yeah. Now jungle skin's different and we'll get to that, but it's always the silver coat, you know, cause it's their first coat. And it tends to usually be a gray tone or a silvery tone, you know, whether it's because of amniotic juices or whatever, but that's just what we always called it. And Billy and Casey looked at me like I had three heads. <laughs> so no, I get it. I that might be, I, that should be a poll. It is like this weird silvery sort yeah. of like, I know what, yeah, I know what yeah. you mean. Now jungle skin, I think is amazing because it depending on the species, it may take four or five sheds to see that animal's true colors in captivity. Um, for those of you who don't know, jungle skin is when you have an animal that was field collected or wild caught. Um, it's lived its life in the quote unquote jungle, right? Um, and it's not living on paper towels. It's not living on puppy pads. It's not living on Aspen. It's living in the dirt and the muck and the mud or the sand and the rock and the shale. So it's dirty, right? Well, that dirt just impregnates itself into the scales. To, right, which to a point where it takes three to five sheds for that animal to really, for lack of a better synonym, shed that dirt off. And when it does 
get lose that jungle skin, oh man, it's a different animal. It's the coolest. I think the best is gaboons because gaboons, when they come rhinos. in from Africa, it rhinos too. Yeah, any of the big jungle bitus or like tropical bitus, dude, like they're so drab and dull, and you can you can see the geometric shapes. You can still see the butterflies and the saddles. And then there's that one shed, and you're like, it's a different Whoa, snake. Yeah. It's a different snake. Yeah. Uh, Cox said, did y'all see the Imbricata in Germany? I did not. I'm I not did. Surprised. You did? Where was it? Where was it posted? Um, I'm in, I have a little group chat with, uh, you know, Burke and Nipper and, uh, Burke was, you know, going Gaga and Nipper was like, well, it could be. And I, me being me, I basically told him, nah, man, that's just an inland brettles cross. (laughs) And, uh, I didn't, they did not share my giggle, (laughs) but it looked cool, man. It looks real cool. Actually, I might have it still. Let me see if I can pull it off. Hold on. I didn't hear about it, but I'm not surprised. I feel, you know, I I figured it's only a matter of time before someone outside of Australia ended up with them. You know, obviously, if someone has them, all of a sudden they were smuggled. Well, so uh, this is this is the thing: is the guy that posted this apparently is a legit dude. So it's not been determined yet in Cox. Correct right. me if I'm wrong. You don't know um, where he got them from, though. But it, supposedly, it's some kind of zoological installa- uh, institution um however some of our other friends in europe have said that they're definitely smuggled at the, not these but there there are there happen to be other imbricata that are floating around europe and even being bred perhaps that are just kind of under hush hush because they are a smuggled animal uh um, cox said i said it looks like imbricata uh, seized imports that the german government said they can sell the babies so yeah, I, mean, I feel like they're lucky just to be able to do that. Uh, and then Brandon Valentine asked, "Did you guys see Eric's Tannenbar eggs?" Which I did. Yeah, it's awesome. I really hope that I, I don't. It looked like a pretty good clutch. I think you said there was like one or two that looked like they were not great, but I hope he hatches them all. I mean, that's awesome. I really, me having the mail from Phil, I really want to figure out a way to to produce more of them, and whether that's sending him to someone that has a female, or me somehow ending up with a female. I want to. I want to make it happen. Okay, so Ryan said the government said they cannot sell the adults, but the babies of the pair are free game. So, yeah. Here, for those of you watching, let's do this. Open that picture there. Application window. There we go. Oh yeah. Yeah. I can see where someone would think that's like a Brettles cross of some sort. Yeah. And again, this is an animal that is extremely variable in coloration, but also goes through somewhat of a seasonal darkening, if you will. Mm-hmm. You know, um, we've seen pictures of incredibly light, almost you know, pale khaki colored ones, and then you know, I've I've seen ones that were dark like All this. All the ones I've seen were dark like that, but I also haven't done a whole lot yeah. of searching. Yeah. So uh, if it uh, proves out, man, that'll be fantastic. You know, yeah, I mean, sometime in the next decade, we'll have some. Yeah, yep, absolutely. It's going to be tough if it's only that one pair, though, that we're getting stuff from. That's it's going to be a pretty short, uh, short, short line. Yeah, hopefully, someone uh, has some somewhere that are legitimately founded, and we'll see what happens. So. 
Oh, I'm trying. I feel like I was about to cover something. I don't remember what it was. Well, you wanted to talk about the top the topics you, you uh, talked to me about earlier. Um, do you want to just dive into that or no? Yeah. So Anna Vip recently. Let me bring up at least an article so I know what I'm talking about. In the recent news. Uh, Anavip has been approved. It was originally, I think, just approved for rattlesnakes, if I'm not mistaken, but it has now been approved for um, Echistrodon and the other native pit vipers. North America. Um, Excellent. Which, it's cool. That's good to know. I know, uh, like, Crowfab kind of has a rocky yeah track record um, yeah so yeah as of the businesswire.com website rare disease therapeutics inc announces new expanded fda approved indication for anti-venom anavip for treatment of north american pit viper envenomation uh, now indicated for the management of adult and pediatric patients with all north american pit viper envenomation including rattlesnakes copperheads and cottonmouths so rock and roll i don't know what you've heard i've heard that it's it's good solid stuff i heard it's actually phenomenal stuff um i heard that because of its abilities as well as its price uh it is it gives crowfab a run for its money um which is not shocking when you see some of the astronomical prices of crowfab so speak of the devil eric's in here and he's there he is eric hernandez not eric Burke. he says there's an imbricata line already in europe he believes which would not surprise me yeah. um i wish i could not tell you what the major difference is between anavip versus crofab and what it's you know what makes it so much better i don't know if you know phil but well i mean having another from, option is good yeah from from what i gathered it is um it is way less volatile on the sub on the subject um I know there's considerably less serum sickness. There's considerably less uh, chance for localized infections, as well as you know general infections throughout the body. Um, and the price tag is a lot cheaper too. Um, I know that there's a lot of individuals working with several different manufacturers, but I think the biggest deal with that is that it's a non-domestically produced drug and is now getting American recognition, which is a huge deal because that's one yeah, of the biggest. Talked, there was an article that mentioned uh, Duracis and Bothrops, so maybe it was used down south yeah. prior. Yeah, um, and, and that's that's a big deal because the, the hardest thing about antivenin, you know, Henry and I are going through this right now because we're, we're doing the slow road and acquiring some of this stuff, but the reason why the FDA gives you such shit about it is because it's not made here. And, and whether it be that they're not getting their cut or that they were not getting paid, someone's not getting paid or the fact that there is legitimate medical concerns per United States guidelines. Right. Um, we'll, we'll never really know the truth in that, but it is cool to see, you know, recognition being given for innovation, you know, innovation in a, a fairly niche medical realm you know yeah. so i think it's awesome 
you know, I really, I need to get with, uh, I was going to talk to Brent more about um, those dudes in New York that do all the military contracts. And now for the life of me, I can't remember what they're called. Um, crap. No. Anyway. Yeah. There's a, there's a, 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 a private company who is uh, producing and manufacturing uh, polyvalent antivenin in New York for sale and contract through government entities in terms of the military. So like our guys overseas, our gals overseas fighting the good fight, wherever it may be, um, is not going to be subjected to using whatever they can acquire over there. Yeah. yeah. You know, so that, I think that's pretty cool. We got to get in on that. I don't know what Cox is talking about. He said, so Bothrop's keepers could keep that on hand to watch themselves and not be like that donkey in North Carolina. Ha. Well, I'm aware of this. Uh, I prefer not to <clears throat> not to go down that rabbit hole tonight, but uh, <clears throat> a very common thing, excuse me, a very common thing with venomous keepers is not keeping their own antivenin. Um, despite oh, what, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. I thought he was, there was a Bothrops bite in North Carolina. No, no, no. Um, and the problem Maybe. is is that when, when individuals who keep privately don't keep their own antivenin on stock or local, they're forced to pull that medicine from another institution. So now, you know, I get bit by, you know, the Smith rattlesnake and no, I don't have my own antivenin. So now it has to come from a hospital or it has to come from a zoo or it has to come from a research facility that now they those people get it there now, right. Like and now those, yesterday, right. And those people that acquired that drug for possible use in their facility are now denied that because they gave it away to help this schmo who didn't have his own juice. Mind now, you, they're under no obligation to give that to you, but they do so right. for decent human beings. Right. Um, uh, I'm in the works with Henry of acquiring our own stuff because we don't want to be like that guy. However, um, I am very, very lucky, and I don't want to say blessed, but I'm very, very lucky in where I live. We have the Venom 1 you know, mm-hmm. response unit that has damn near every antivenin that any of us would need. So I am lucky in that regard to the point where it would not be taken in theory, would not be taken from a zoo or a medical facility in that regard. Do you think um, people in Florida rely on that too heavily? 110%. I'm, I'm one of them. Think of, Seriously, I'm, I'm one of them. And that's something I'm, I'm, I'm in the workings of trying to change because we rely on it too much. Hmm. So I'm, I'm, I'm telling the, telling it like it is. I'm guilty of it myself. It's a bad way of thinking. It's a safety blanket that is not a blanket at all because who's to say that they have what you need. Yeah. I don't know what they currently have in the freezer, in the refrigerator. I'm just going off a hunch. Oh yeah, Venom One's got. It. I'm fine, you know. And how many people in Florida don't even know? Or let me rephrase that: How many people in Florida don't have Venom One's phone number saved in their phone? How about that? So, it's an interesting thing. Yeah, and Cox said, or from other private keepers like Nathaniel or Jim from KRZ. But even then, I mean, you're talking about like, that's not even like a, well, I guess KRZ is kind of a different story. Like zoos, you know, like they're, 
that's a much smaller operation that doesn't have the budget to just be handing out that kind of stuff, you know? Yeah. Not yep. that, not that bigger zoos have large budgets either, but that was my first thought when, when that anti-venom went to the guy in North Carolina was, you know, who, you know, I'd, I'd be willing to bet money that that zoo's probably not going to see a dime back, you know, to replace that. They're not going to get that. They're not going to get compensated for that expenditure more than maybe that. hopefully they do if it were me and i got bit i would at least be like look i'm gonna slowly figure out a way to pay you guys back or something you know i don't right. care if it's me having to make donations to the zoo every month like right i want some i want to be able to somehow repay you because that is these those places are essentially saving your life they are you know? they are <clears throat> You owe them a life and blood oath. Yeah. Yeah. Blood, blood debt. A blood debt. Uh, but the next thing on the order of business was my buddy Elijah Day sent me a message on Friday and said, Hey, man, y'all should talk a bit about how to approach people about venomous apprenticeships. <clears throat> and yes. I know we've talked about it a little bit, but I, we haven't really specifically talked about what the best way is to approach somebody to doing so. So I'm a hundred percent game to talk about this. Um, obviously this is a passion of mine. This is something I've been doing for a very long time. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, and recently I've actually had four or five individuals contact me about getting into venomous training and having mentorship or whatever you want to call it. Um, <clears throat> some people like myself, I refer to it as an apprenticeship. In the way that I view things, it is more of an apprenticeship than, say, an internship. However, other people like, you know, the RPI, P and Cody and them, they refer to it as an internship. Um, I feel like because of the higher risk of volatile species that the RPI keeps, Cody is less likely to train someone from ground zero dirt from scratch. Right. Um, which is why I feel it's more of an internship in terms of the individual training with them and working for them for free, essentially, because you're getting your hours. Um, uh, they already know the basics. So, you know, Cody gives his teachings of, of the more high-speed stuff, the more spastic stuff, the more unique stuff. No, they um, think they have a pretty good spectrum. I mean, you know, they have the Bothrops and the Bittis and the... You know the mambas, right? Cobras. But it, right, but yes, they have a very wide assortment of animals. But again, none of that is stuff that you're going to start with a beginner, and that's right. what I'm getting at. Okay. Is the people that, that are getting the people that are getting in with Cody, um, it is more of an internship because he's not babysitting them 110. percent He's making sure that they've learned the tactics that they need. They've been trained appropriately, so that in theory he can walk away and leave them to their work, much like an intern. While as a lot of my stuff is very over the shoulder. And I deal yeah. with a lot of people that are, have never done this or they've done reptiles for a long time and they have a shitload of bad habits that we have to break. So my approach is far as more so safety and it really is a safety class, more so safety and uh, getting them to where they need to be so that eventually I can step back and say, all right, do what you got to do. Um, but it all comes down to communication. Uh, 
the first step is locating individuals that you potentially would want to apprentice with, right? Um, vet your teachers, right? The same way that a employer would ask for letters of recommendation or ask for a resume, a mentor, they may not ask for that stuff, but you know they're going to want to know that or see that, right? <clears throat> so you don't have to have a resume of, oh, I worked at Petco for X amount of years. No, you don't have to do any of that, but have communication with one of the people or all the people that you intend to mentor under or mentor with, however you want to phrase it, excuse me. Um, and the other thing too is I won't reply if you message me and say, hey, I hear you give out venomous hours. How do I sign up? I'm not going to reply to that. And that, that may be rude. That may be, you know, arrogant of me. But if you're not going to take the time to start a conversation, to formulate a, a, a full paragraph of why you want to do this, who you are, what you're about, what you've done, why am I going to invest my time for free? Because I don't get paid to do this, you know, to give a helping hand. Um, and I've had a lot of people recently do it the right way, so to speak. Um, and I feel kind of bad about it because it, it, for those that are one of those individuals li and they're listening to this, I've been backburnering people because Underground is doing a new room in the retail store. Uh, my personal collection, I'm kind of doing some rearranging. Um, and I like, I like everything to be correct before we start, you know, just going at it. So I have backburnered a couple people these past couple months, but at the same time, it's COVID. So things aren't, you know, normal. Um, but it all comes down to communication, strike up a conversation, you know, talking to the person who you are, what you're about, why you want to do this. And it also comes down to you personally, as the student, you got to ask yourself, why do I want to do this? Do I want to do this because I have a general fascination and a love for these animals? Or is it because it's cool because it's Instagram? because I like adrenaline and I'll tell you right now, if you are an adrenaline junkie, good for you, man, rock and roll, jump out of that airplane, bungee jump off that bridge, go, you know, frolicking naked in the snow. That is not what this is about. This is not about adrenaline. This is not about, Oh man, I almost died. That is not what this is about. This is about having a genuine passion and a love for these animals and wanting to work with them and experience having them in your life. And I think that's the first question that any person who wants to get into Venomous needs to ask themselves. And be real with yourself. You know, if you just want a selfie with a cobra, just go to Thailand, man. You know, take a selfie with a cobra. But in terms of handling and learning and training so that you could do this on your own, so you could do this with your own personal collection, you need to ask yourself those things. And then once you've made a decision, you need to communicate with those individuals that you're seeking to gain their expertise, maybe their wisdom, whatever. It may be. Well, what would be some red flags for like in a potential mentor? Like what would be some things that if you were looking for a mentor <clears throat> and like, what would be the things that you want to avoid in that person? Besides some, the obvious. Okay. Besides the obvious of free handling. So, Besides the obvious of free handling douchebags. Um, by the way, Johnny, the Nobbies are doing great. Um, I'm super late in the season, so I'm hopefully going to be pairing them 
sooner than later, but some of them I may not even pair this year just because I've been busy with work and I, I messed my times up and a whole other story for another time. But going back to Venomous, so. <laughs> Ryan Cox says, uh, excessive use of the term bro. That's actually not a bad measuring stick. That's not a bad measuring stick, bro. Um, so you're getting into this, right? And you say, okay, wow, I see this guy, Bob, and Bob candles venomous, and he lives, you know, 20 minutes away from me. Let me reach out to Bob. And Bob's first inclination is to say, yeah, that's cool, man. Come on over. Bring a snake hook. Now, that's not a red flag to me, but I would inquire more and say, hey, uh, that sounds great. What, what, what kind of animals do you keep? What, did you ex what are you expecting of me, perhaps? And if they're like, oh, yeah, just come over. We'll just, we'll just clean some cages and stuff. A very nonchalant attitude, a very carefree attitude. I'm not a fan of that. I want more. I want to know, you know, what's going on because I've had several individuals reach out to me and say, Hey, I went to this person because I assumed they were a mentor and they didn't teach me a single thing. I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm actually quite nervous and uncomfortable, but it's the only place that I've been able to find to get experience. That is not the scenario you want. That is not what you want. That is how an accident or an issue is going to happen. Um, a well, was it Brent that, that we were talking about that someone bought a mamba out in like the Pacific Northwest and they were like deathly afraid of it? And so that person had to, yeah, that was me. Yeah. yeah. So, um, and that, and that's, that person obviously had no mentor. That person didn't know what was going on, but I have had several individuals message me and say, Hey, I started getting hours in, in a state that does not have a venomous permit. It's a, a free open state but they still wanted the experience. They still wanted yeah. to learn all that they could. Um, they went to this person's house who had a considerable collection with a diverse collection. And they were like, yeah, snake hooks there, bathrooms over there. Um, there's paper towels and chlorhex over there. Yeah, man, just, you know, let me know if you need anything. Bye. And the owner walks out and that person's like, ah, what do I do? I have no idea. You know, um, that's a big, that's a big red flag. Because that means that that person has no aspirations of helping you or educating free you. Free labor. It's just free labor. It's clean my cages for free because I don't feel like doing it, you know. And that's not cool. That's that's not what that's not what we're about. Um, another one is a person who is vague in their descriptions. So if I say to you. <clears throat> We're going to tail this rattlesnake, right? And Justin knows I am not a fan of tailing rattlesnakes, but sometimes it's something that m must be done. Um, I say, hey, we're going to tail this rattlesnake. And the guy says, yeah, man, just, you know, open the glass with your hook and, you know, just grab him by the back, pull his tail out, just grab his tail, lift him up, you know, put the hook underneath him. Just just make sure you got, you know, balance him a little bit. Put him in a trash can. Watch this YouTube video <laughs> and copy that. Right. Um, that's a red flag, man, because that person, maybe it's not their fault. Maybe they have it in their mind that they're conveying this knowledge or conveying this information appropriately, and they're just a bad teacher. Some people are just not good at explaining things like that. Right. I mean, that I'm one of those people. Like, I can, like, in my mind, it's clear as day, but the moment I have to, like, the last episode where we were talking about the rear fag stuff, like, yeah. in my mind, it makes complete sense, but for me to explain it to somebody else, 
It's a nightmare. Like directions. I'm horrible at directions. Right. Like giving them to people and, that are tourists. Like I know exactly what to do, but when I have to explain to someone, I over-explain. And there's like a bunch of tiny details. Like when you see the Dairy Queen on the left, you're gonna make a right. You'll see a Regions in a, in a Wells Fargo. You're gonna turn in there, and then it's gonna be a like a slightly hard left or around the corner. And you're it's like I'm I'm bad about it. So yeah, and there's nothing wrong with those people, but if you're trying to learn step by step so that you don't have a mistake that may not be the person you want to learn from you know or maybe have that communication and say hey you got to be more articulate you got to be more vivid i i I can't this is very open-ended you know what i mean so with a lot of you know my people that i train it's very 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 step by step and i'm the opposite of justin i'm the one who says you're going to go 40 yards south, which happens to be a right. You're going to see a median that forks, but slightly to the right. You know what I mean? And, and that's the kind of person that I am. And that doesn't mean that the other mentor is bad or inexperienced, but it could. And there's a lot of people that have a big problem saying no or saying, I don't know. And I've seen it also where potential students or potential apprentices or potential interns reached out to someone that they thought could be a mentor. The person was accommodating and that person had no business whatsoever training anyone on venomous, but they still did it because they wanted to look good because they wanted to sound good because they wanted to gain reputation as being, Oh, I was taught by so-and-so. Well, so-and-so has no business teaching anyone at all. You know, there was an individual that, trained with Henry and I, um, who turned out to be not a good person. Um, uh, very, very much a deceitful person, uh, started off being a friend and gaining trust and then stabbed everyone in the back. Um, that oh, person it's almost like dating. It is. It is like, you got to um, click with somebody and you got to understand, you know, not be afraid to, you know, a, the, the person ask questions if they have any and right. b the teacher be able to, be straight up with somebody and say, stop what you're about to do is, is really not. not Yeah. So this person, uh, happened to be getting their hours in Florida in Florida is a very difficult thing to get a license in Florida. And when they got fed up, uh, I'm not going to say they forged their hours, but I am going to say that they got their license way faster than they rightfully should have. Uh, and then the minute they had that piece of paper in their hand, started training people. And it was, if you can imagine, I mean, I want to make like a Star Wars reference. Like, imagine, you know, Luke says, "Eh, I don't feel like finishing my Jedi training. I'm just going to go teach people. Well, it doesn't work like that. You're going to be a shitty teacher. You're you're not a good handler yourself. Now you're going to teach someone else how to handle mamas and cobras and stuff? No bueno. So... See if people are overly eager um, and vet people the same way that I was saying earlier about a, a, an employer wants to see a potential employer wants to see a resume. There is no snake handling resumes, but if you want to learn from me, I would expect you to ask other people, hey, what do you know about Phil? Have you ever trained with Phil? Yeah. Do you know anyone who's trained with Phil? You know, does Phil really you know do what he says he does? See, and even then, though, you kind of have to 
take it with at least a slight grain of salt because you know people's opinions are going to be biased one direction or the other. But I think if you ask enough people, you can get a general idea. You know, if you talk to 10 or 20 people and 17 of those say, yeah, Phil's great. And the other three are like, uh, fuck that guy. You know, I think it's pretty much safe to say that it, it's probably a solid, solid choice. Right, right. You know. Um, so just let's let's do a little recap real quick because we're we're I, I'm trying to get the thoughts out. You know what I mean? I wasn't quite mentally prepared to do this tonight, but I love it. Um, so ask around. You know, get word of mouth vetting. You know, ask people. Hey, have you ever trained with Phil? Uh, do you know anyone who's ever trained with Phil? Um, is Phil really the guy that people say he is, whether it be good or bad? Uh, at the same time, look for the red flags of, wow, this person just handed me a snake hook and a set of keys. What do I do? Or, yeah, come over and we'll figure it out. Well, no, I don't want to just come over and figure it out. I want to know what the hell I'm walking into. You know, Just because they have this beautiful zoo on Instagram does not mean that that's not going to be a rickety old shed in the backyard. With, right. you know, no safety protocol whatsoever. So be mindful of that. Also, if you've never worked in a particular scenario, whether it be vision cages, neodesha cages, uh, using venomous in a rack, drawers, drawers and racks that have no visual window or anything, they're solid colored, you can't see what's inside it. Um, these are all things that you need to ask questions about. Hey, uh, uh, what, what's in that drawer? Having appropriate signage is a big deal. If there is not appropriate signage in a facility, I won't work there. Because I don't know what's really in that drawer. I don't know what's really in that enclosure. You see a bunch of plants in there and a water dish. You have no idea if that's a green mamba or if it's a garter snake. You don't know. Yeah. So if there's not appropriate signage or appropriate um, nomenclature, I'm very, very apprehensive. Um, and by appropriate, that could be as simple as, <clears throat> excuse me, that could be as simple as a piece of masking tape that says Naja Kauthia on it. You know, it's not piece, ideal, but it's, yeah, better it's not than right. Right. And, and don't get me wrong. When I worked in some of the wholesalers, we were rotating animals so frequently that, I couldn't have actual labels made. I would go through millions of dollars in label making tape, right? So we would use masking tape or blue painters tape or duct tape, whatever we had on hand. You put a piece of masking tape, you put 1.0 Naja Keuthia, albino monocled cobra, you know, and now people know what that is. And if I have to move the cage, I could peel the tape off and put on another cage, whatever. So if you notice that a lot of this stuff isn't there, those are some red flags, you know? Um, ben said he put in his vacation days for Daytona. So yeah, um, we're going to have a snakes and stogies smokers outpost. We are in our little gazebo like we had last year. That was awesome. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm even, uh, I'm probably going to make arrangements like the week or two prior to make sure that we can reserve a seating area just for that. And we won't have anyone harass us and say, know. Oh, no one seemed to care last time. Yeah, but think of, but I'm more thinking about having enough chairs and tables. We copped all those chairs and no one said a word. Yeah, that's true. It was also drizzly and late. I don't know. Anyway, um, we're paying customers, so, damn it. We're paying customers, damn it. So, yeah, so I think thinking outside the box is how a lot of new people should be looking at it. And that's 
that's that's basically the bottom of it. Having communication, noticing what feels uncomfortable is probably going to be, and uh, and vetting the people you're learning from. You know, and that's that's around. what I'm talking about. Like, there's a level of comfort that you have to have with that person to where you can ask questions and not be afraid to ask them. Right. You know, like yes. if you're working with someone and you're you're you you feel like you're going to get sort of judged or criticized because you asked a question, even if it was legitimate. That's probably not the person you want to be with. Like if you're if you're yeah. so scared to, you know, ask something for fear of what they might say or think, then right, that ain't a good fit. I uh, I had a mentor who a venomous mentor who was very vague. Um, he was a brilliant man, brilliant man. He's still around, still does some snake stuff. Um, but he would get perturbed by my overwhelming amount of questions. But is there such a thing when it comes to this stuff? I don't think there is. Exactly. And he got frustrated. He got really frustrated one day. And uh, his wife happened to work with us. And uh, she wasn't really a big snake person, but she worked with us. And I guess she talked to him because the next day I'd gone in to, to do work and uh, he sat me down in the office. He's like, listen, man, I, uh, I know I get really frustrated with you and I may treat you like shit sometimes. And I'm really sorry about that. But I had to, I really had to sit back and remind myself that I asked the exact same questions that you did at your age, at your level. So keep asking them because if you don't ask, you'll never know, you know, and that I apply that to life every day. If I'm not bashful, I'll pull over and ask for directions. I don't care. I'm not that guy. I'd rather, you know, if you don't know, if you don't ask, you'll never know. I'd rather know. So think outside the box, try and vet who you're attempting to learn from and notice the red flags, you know, and have calve the communication. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, in the, in the age of, of Facebook now, like we all know the series. Yeah. The, the, I mean, uh, come back in a second, but the, uh, you know, the herb community is small, especially the Venice community. Surely, you know, somebody that knows that person or, you know, the six degrees of separation with Kevin Bacon kind of thing. Oh yeah. Um, but Bill said he likes the dating compatibility idea. It's a relationship, which it very much is. Um, <clears throat> If I work with Venomous with Phil, then I'm trusting him with my life, which is very true. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the karate kid. You can have Mr. Miyagi or you can have the dude from Cobra Kai. Right. Right. Sweep the leg. Put him in a body bag. Or you can be painting his fence. I can't tell you how many times I've done wax on, wax off type of stuff with people. And they literally will ask me, why are you having me do this? be the hook and, and really and yeah and that's it and you know it comes down to you know my old joking saying of this is not break dancing this is a ballet this is a waltz there is times where you want it to be smooth and relaxed and methodical other times you want it to be very precise and articulate um and then sometimes you, you gotta go from doing a tango and go straight into cardboard box on the ground break dancing because shit hit the fan and had you not learned how to waltz, had you not learned the ballet or the smooth, you know, uh, elegance of it, then you're never gonna you're never gonna break dance, or you're gonna break dance wrong. You're gonna break a leg, or better yet, get bit and die, and that's no bueno. Which is so frustrating, especially in the captive setting when it's so easily preventable. Right. Exactly. You know, that's it's a bummer. Exactly. 
I can't tell you how many times I've been with keepers that have been doing it a considerable amount of time, whether it be longer than me or not. And I watch them do something and I can see it unfolding in front of me of, oh, this is not going to go the way they want it to. Oh, this is not going to go the way they want it to. Oh, and there it is. And I have to grab them by the shirt and pull them back and say, stop, 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 stop. And then you just give it a second, reevaluate, and then move on to the next thing. And, you know, it's things like that that I think make uh, a good a good relationship is that if someone was to grab me by the shirt from behind me and go, whoa, 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 if they're in the room with me, I have to trust them the same way that they have to trust me. And that comes from communication and and building that trust. Bill said it succinctly said I train other things that have very serious connotations and those relationships and trust are what make or break your name. Uh, and then Brandon Valentine asked, uh, what's a good way to get out and find slash look for a mentor, like going to a herb society, Facebook, local shop, Instagram question mark. Well, I think that, I think that the ability of having the internet, it doesn't make it easier but it allows you to have more ability, right? So I could ask 50 people on Facebook and all of them say no. But if I didn't have Facebook, I may not have known those people even existed, right? So yeah. I would rather try and, you know, extend my reach as far as I can than not do it at all. So I say use the Facebook groups. There is a Venomous Mentors group. Um, I will say that the Venomous Mentors group on Facebook has gotten a little funky over the past couple of years, um, but there's still a lot of great people in there. Uh, there's still a lot of great breeders and keepers and some zoo people and some handlers, just basic handlers. Um, but there's also lists and, you know, that have resources at your disposal, at your fingertips that say, okay, I live in this state. I live in this county. Who's willing to help me? You know. And then if there's the, always the same post over and over again, I live here. Does anyone know anyone? And they'll throw two or three people's names in there. Crap, my name goes on there at least once a month. Um, but the question is, if it goes on there once a month, how many of those people actually message me? And surprisingly, it's very little. Um, I feel like the people that message me the most are ones who follow what we do with the Herpetoculture Network or are friends of friends or have, you know, they saw Underground and they called up Underground and said, hey, I'm moving to South Florida. I want to get into Venomous. And they say, well, talk to Phil or whatever. So using social media, I think, is a great, great avenue. But don't assume that good it's going to get place. you in. Yeah, it's a good starting place, right? Cox said if they have a bang and an Aatrox, that's your guy. And then Bill asked, does punctuality matter in a mentor? <laughs> Bill, was that a dig at me always being late? <laughs> I don't think it was. I think it was a serious question. I don't know. I feel like small stuff like that does, like, actions speak louder than words. And if you have someone that's lazy in small regards like that. Then yeah, okay. I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm always late to everything, as most of our viewers and listeners know. Um, <laughs> Bill included. Poor bastard. So sorry about that. Um, <laughs> oh, I get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I forgot about that. But I'll tell you this, though. 
going back to communication, if you don't have communication as a mentor or as a student in terms of, hey, I'm going out of town and all of a sudden I don't hear anything. Yeah. He said I got my serious comments out early. That was a dig. <laughs> <laughs> but it was but it was a good dig because it, it does it segues me to what I'm about to say. So I have limited spots for when I train people. I don't like to take on too many students at once because I can't monitor them all. And let's be real, it's not enough animals to go around. It's it's small private collections. Um, so if I have someone come to me and say, hey, I'm going back to night school. I can only show up maybe once a month. I may not show up for the entire semester. Am I going to lose my spot? Can I still have a spot? Those are things that me as the instructor, I have to mitigate and regulate and figure out how to go about that. But if someone has communication with me, then hell yeah, rock and roll. You know, I had one guy who said, hey, I'm, I'm taking new classes. I'm almost done with my degree. Uh, I'm going to basically take this semester off. But, you know, after the semester is done, can I come back and have my spot? And I said, absolutely. I said, as long as you're in school and you communicate with me, I will never give your spot up. Well, the semester was over. I didn't hear from him. So I messaged him. I said, hey, man, it's, it's Christmas. I know you're not in school anymore. What are we doing? Are you coming back or what? Never got a reply. Uh, come to find out that he dropped out of school. Uh, got a job with a shipping company and was basically doing shipping stuff. Now, had he called me up and said, hey, I dropped out of school. I started my own career. Things are doing really, really well. Is there a chance I can come back later on? I probably would have worked with him, but I didn't hear from the guy for almost a year. And then he messaged me, hey, my schedule finally freed up. I'm going to come back. And I said, no, you're not. You, you, you missed out, man. Like, all you had to do is pick up the phone shoot me a text. Yeah. It's been, it's been 11 months. You know what I mean? So What's having that, that, having that communication, what's up most having that communication uh, is a very, very big deal. And it, as an instructor, if I'm going, if I'm getting out of work, right, my normal day job and I'm going over to the facility to do a class and I'm stuck in traffic. Well, me as the teacher, I can't just stroll in. I got to let them know. You know, I got to yeah. send, send out the text, send out the phone call, whatever it may be, you know, and that, and that's a big deal. So if you, if you, if you're getting, going to get hours from someone and you're showing up at their home or showing up at their facility and you get there five, 10 minutes early and they don't show up for 45 minutes, that ain't cool, man. Cause your time is as valuable as theirs. And yes, you may be working for free or yes, they may be doing you a quote unquote favor by helping you out. But at the same time, you're a person too, you know, the, the phone goes both ways. So as much as, as much as I deserve Bill's joke, <laughs> um, I'm glad that he said it because it, it, it is a big deal. And Henry knows it the best because I, I screw over Henry <laughs> once a week. <laughs> Henry knows if I say three o'clock, it's four 30. <laughs> that drives me crazy. Oh, Bill so asked, how many Daytona trips would it take for me to get the 250 hours that Illinois requires? <laughs> 250 hours. Wow. That's gnarly. That's rough. Yeah. 
Man, Billy's hitting strikes too. Look at that, man. I know. Billy, don't you have a shovel to lean on? <laughs> I'm trying to think of what the. Uh... Oh, yeah. The third talk. I don't know if there's anything else you wanted to cover as far as this goes. Yeah, I didn't. I felt like uh, I didn't. I felt like I jumbled my words a lot. And I was kind of rambling for a little bit there. Um, that's why I kept trying to recap what I had brought up before. Um, if that was helpful, great. If it was a toxic mess, my apologies. <laughs> um, but just a quick synopsis. Uh, vet the people you're talking to. Strike up conversations. Have communication. Try and notice the red flags. If it seems wrong, it probably is. And if it seems wrong and you question it and they give you a bullshit answer, it's most definitely wrong. So that's all I got to say. Next engaging question. Mm. So given that I have corn eggs and the cyanide hatching and Baird's eggs soon made me think, and I don't know, like I know me and Jake have talked about this very early on in THP, but I don't think we've talked about it. And that is, should people breed even if it's just to sort of experience it like they it doesn't have to be like any large scale, like say someone gets a pair of, of balls or carpets or whatever. Um, you know, like if, if they say I want to breed, what's your, what's your take on it? My first question is why? Like why if I said, you- Hey Phil, I want to breed my corns. I've never bred before. I want to do it. And you ask me why. And I say, just because I want to see what it's like. I'm going to say rock and roll. I'm going to say, do your homework. I'm going to say, try and do the best job that you can. But above all, remember that if you are successful, it is because of you that you brought all these lives into this world. And if you're not willing to take care of them for the rest of their life, then you need to already have a home for them lined up. Whether it be I'm going to sell them to friends, I'm going to give them to friends, I'm going to you know trade them on kingsnake.com, whatever it is, have a plan. Um, and just remember that you're bringing living creatures into the world and that's your responsibility to take care of them. Yeah. Because uh, we've, I mean, we see it a lot. People get a pair of something you know, they've had it for a very short amount of time and they're ready to, they're ready to pair stuff up. They're ready to breed them. And I'm always of the opinion, uh, and I'll say it again, you know, make sure you actually enjoy something before you decide to make more of it. Uh, cause you see it in conjures a lot. People get doll conjures, pair them. And then like babies come, you know, say they go all the way and they get, they get hatchlings and getting those established is, is a headache, not nearly as much of a headache as Alterna are. Um, and that, I mean, some people, like, you can tell people what to expect all day long, but experiencing it firsthand is a different ballgame. Um, but there is, like you were saying, there is sort of a fine line. You know, I learned it with Cresteds, you know, overproducing, breeding too many, dealing with too many babies, and telling yourself beforehand, it'll be fine, I'll figure it out. I've been down that road. Um but if someone wanted to breed just because, you know, we, we see a lot of people come in the hobby 
you know, the, it's the social media sort of effect where they see everyone else is breeding. So they're like, I should breed too. Or there's like this pressure to breed. I don't think anybody should be pressured to breed. I think if people want to try it because they want to see what all the hype is about, you know, they want to go through the experience of, you know, the whole process of it, which is awesome. It's, it's exciting. It never gets old. Um, I think everyone should experience it at least once. Yeah. You know, I think uh, it's like you were saying, like definitely be mindful of the potential of what you might be stuck with. I think Andy Grossman, who we had on the podcast really early on too, he was, he said it best. He's like, when I breed and I produce stuff, I fully expect to be stuck with it. Yeah. Which yeah. is a good way to look at it. Cause if you look at it from, and, and through that lens, you know, that makes you definitely kind of think twice about how many pairs you put together and, you know, especially like with ball pythons, man, I just think about it. And I've, I've thought about getting a pair of ball pythons just to breed them. And that way, if I'm going to talk smack, at least I have something to back it up. Say I actually did it. Sure. Sure. Um, but the only reason I haven't is because if I do it, and it's just some like base morphs, like some pastels or whatever. What are the odds that I'm going to be sitting on those a while is probably going to be pretty high. But you're also looking at it from a point of view of someone who has been doing this for 20 years and, and let me rephrase that. You're looking at it from the point of view of someone who's been doing this for 20 years and has the networking and the connections to move those animals, whether it be sale or trade or gift to a good home, whatever it may be, you have the ability to acknowledge and see that. Um, there are certain people that the only reason why they bought that animal in the first place or those animals in the first place was because they saw the price tag. They think, well, pff, that's extra money. I can do that. Huh, Justin does it. Pff, I could do it, you know? And that's not a good attitude to have, per se. Um, for the longest time, I was anti-breeder. You know, unless you, in my eyes, unless you were an actual bona fide breeder, you shouldn't be a breeder. You shouldn't attempt to be a breeder because you're just doing it for the money. And, like, that was a bad stigma that I had. And it's because I saw a lot of people that I knew, you know, acquaintances and friends of friends that were sleazeballs, man. They were sleazeballs and they, they bought stuff just because they knew they could make money off of it. Not because they appreciated the species or because they had a passion for the animal. And that made me sour about it, you know. But now I'm that guy that you just spoke of. of well, I've been doing this for 25 years and I've bred stuff, but... Now I'm at the point where I want to really focus on it. I want to do start to finish and monitor everything and document everything and take my time, which is why I'm raising babies up. You know, mm -hmm. anybody can just go out and King Snake or, or Morph Market and buy a pair of adults. Like that's not the point. So I think if someone wants to breed it just to breed it and you want to do it, go for it. Have a plan. Well, having that, that interest in that species in particular, you know, like bears, rats for me. And Eric was talking about that recently on one of the NPR shows, you know, mm -hmm. Justin likes bears and he could sell them for $30. He could sell them for $3,000. Doesn't matter. He'd be, he'd be doing the same, which exactly. is true. I mean, like the corns, those corns aren't going to be anything special, like yeah. phenotypically, but they're very special to me. And so it's like one of those yeah. things where like, Hey, Chris wants some cool boxes on its way. Like, yeah, I, it's so hard. The whole relationship of, breeding and the financial side of it because you know yeah people say it's it's not about money it's like if you're selling and you're breeding even if it's as like a side business it's a little bit about money yeah don't get me wrong 
you know, because if All that's right. the case, then everyone should just give away whatever they're, they're breeding. If money isn't a thing, that's, that's not the case. Like basically yeah, I, yeah. I know what myself and like guys like Billy and you and uh, you know, pretty much anybody that does this on the side, they just wanted to pay for itself at right. the very right. least. Like that's ideal for me. But and again, don't, don't get me wrong. Like I've bred animals that no one knows exists. No one cares. Yeah. Uh, they are literally worthless. But to certain people, they're priceless, you know. Yeah. And that's it's it's it comes out of the opinion. Everyone, like you said, they wanted to pay for the pay for itself. If it can make a lot more money, then hell yeah, rock and roll, you know. But again, the person going back to the original question, someone who just got a pet corn snake, and then someone got them another one, and they're like, you know what, I want to breed these. Go for it. Just remember, you it's may an awesome have, experience. You some awesome experience. It's it's a it's hell fun. of a, a story, right? Yeah, it's exactly. Cool see it all. It's cool to see the process of it all. And like right. this morning, when I walk, I, I woke up and checked on that female. She was laying eggs. Yeah, like literally, she had only popped out two of the eleven. And so, like, I sat there and watched her for a few minutes. And she was, I guess, she had kind of put everything on pause because she knew that I was hovering over her. Um, mm -hmm. But like that's something you don't see every day. Like it's not something you're yeah. going to go out into the woods when you're herping and find. I mean, you could, but the odds are pretty slim. And so it's like you get to see that in captivity. And yeah, it may not be the same as seeing in the wild, but still, it's like I remember as a kid when my dad was breeding corn, just like sitting there and watching the females just pop out eggs, and it was like just the physics of it and how they can pop out something like that. Same with human yeah. babies. You know, it's like yeah. is it's nuts. You know, yeah. and it's cool to experience. I think everyone should experience. It's just like like we're saying, you know, be prepared and understand sort of what you're signing yourself up for. Yeah. Um, and that's I've I've personal experience. You can have a million people tell you you're going to regret over you know pairing too much, but you have to experience it yourself before it clicks. That's yeah. what it was for me with Crested's dude. Like, woke up one day, saw that I had like sixty babies that I had to feed, and Pangea ain't cheap, and uh. There's a giant thing on my ankle. Uh, realized like this was a really bad idea. Yeah. Yeah. It, it creeps up on you and you don't realize it, you know? So, but yeah, I, I, I said, just have, have a plan, you know, and as morbid as it sounds, if your plan is to uh, give them away to a local pet shop, go for it. If your plan is to honestly, you're you just wanted to see if you could do it and you want to euthanize them all at least you have a plan i don't agree with it but at least you have a plan have an idea of what you're going to do and and if you are going to keep them and hold them back as we say and raise them up remember you need all those enclosures you need all that food you need all that electricity you need all that time those paper towels that aspen bedding that cypress mulch whatever it may be so be, just be mindful of it. You know, take it in consideration. You know, and we're not talking about counting your chickens before they hatch. We're talking yeah. about thinking about okay, what if I do hatch all those? The bigger chickens? picture, right? The bigger picture, yeah. Looking yep. down the road, and I think I mean that's I try to like I definitely have things planned for within you know the next two or three years with what I have you know and that's assuming that everything's gonna you know nothing drastic is gonna happen to my collection or those animals in particular between now and then but i definitely have sort of a you know goalpost down the down the way and i think that's good to have yeah. um but you know like the people that do i mean there are people that breed ball pythons there are people that breed conjures and they do it 
mostly because you know the money like and that's fine as long as those animals are taken care of and you're doing right by them whatever those people do exist it's the people that hop in and get their craigslist pair and think that they're you know their two normal balls are gonna you know i'm gonna sell these i'm gonna make a bunch of money it's like eh, yeah probably not yeah. and i don't think those i you know a lot that stuff gets talked about a lot um, you know, we talk in a lot of generalities and stuff, which I don't particularly like to do, kind of like what Eric Burke has talked about. I try to be cognizant of it. Right. Um, I don't think that person exists in the numbers that we think they do. You know, it, I think we see it happen, and it's almost always newer people that are coming into the hobby. You know, they see some YouTube dudes selling, you know, making world's firsts, and you know, this is how much it's going to sell for, and they they without understanding sort of the whole process of it all and what it all really entails. And the investment, dare I say, quote unquote, sure. um, you know, they just they see it at the on the surface. They don't see the, the rest of the right. iceberg under the, and, under the water. And it, there's there's nothing that says, how do I phrase this? We're like, like Justin said, we're being vener very generalistic. And the, the, the people that we're speaking ill about are very few and far between for the most part. However, I find that a lot of the people who want to breed everything we just said about having a plan, thinking about the bigger picture, they don't realize it or think about it until it's too late and they have eggs in the incubator and they're like, Oh my God, or they all hatch out. And they're like, Oh wow. I didn't expect them to hatch out. Okay. What now? So like, just have that bigger picture, have the more, you know, grandiose mind. Um, but it's also going to depend on sort of what you're talking about, too. I mean, you know, a clutch of baby Alterna, baby Cyania, baby Chondros, baby Candoya is going to be a vastly different experience than a clutch of corn snakes. Yeah. And clutch, yeah. You know, so. Well, how about this? So, you know, I have my water pythons. Mm -hmm. So I recently was messing with them and I'm like, man, they are growing. And I am not power feeding them at all, but they're growing and they're, they're growing really well. Um, and I thought about it and I was like, man, I, I want to breed them. It's a goal of mine to breed these animals. Uh, but I realized that if I'm, by the time that they're of mature age to breed and I'm still living where I'm living, I'm probably not going to breed them. I'm probably just going to, honestly, uh, to be blunt, I'm probably going to give them just give them to Billy because I know that it's not fair to the animal to have subpar conditions because of my housing arrangement mm -hmm. and, and breed it. And at the same time, if I get a clutch of say 20 eggs, those are big babies. Those are big eggs. Now I got to house 20 of them because I may not sell them. You know, yeah. I may, I may attempt to give them away and nobody wants them, you know? So that's something I needed to take into consideration. And I'm still three or five years out, but you know, that's my, that's also my game plan at this point. Got because Billy excited. I know and Billy should have known that <laughs> Billy knew that. But I look at it this way: is that I feel like he's just our our like garbage disposal, so to, so to speak. No, so, no, no. And no, we no. have these things. Ah, oh, give him to Billy. He'll like. No, him. no, no, no. He'll Billy work with has, Billy has the the mind to do it correctly. Billy has the resources to do it correctly, and and Billy has a gift. That's why he's so good at what he does. Well, no, it's just it always happens to be species that he's into that he somehow ends up with from us. Yeah, well, it's his fault that I even like the damn things. <laughs> Watch out, Billy felt an emotion. Yeah. yeah, and Billy puts on the rays. This is my plan has worked, Philip. 
<laughs> but he said it seems like people sometimes get into the hobby just to breed instead of learn the species first and then make that decision. Yeah. Right. And I mean, that's that just falls into that whole like, I saw it on YouTube. I want to try it and not knowing the fine, not, I guess, the fine print of the rest of it. But uh, the Candoya thing, like Bill said, you know, I'd love to work through one of those Candoya litters uh, that those import females drop. Uh, it would be awful but it would be an accomplishment, I think. And that's one of those things where if you're in the hobby long enough or you're, you're in it long enough and you have, you know, you want that challenge and you want something that's not going to be so easy as, as, you know, popcorn carpets or corns or something that, you know, is going to eat right off the bat. No problem. Like, like I enjoy the chondros. I enjoy that challenge. I enjoy the cyania. I enjoy that challenge, the alterna. It's fun for a little bit. And then after like the sixth week of them not eating, it's, it starts getting a little frustrating. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think you, you get to a certain point in your, your herpetocultural journey where you want something that's a little more challenging. You want something sure. that's a little tougher. And I, I, I really like having, like I've said before, I like having the, the really simple stuff that I don't have to really worry about that I can just sort of enjoy, which I enjoy the other ones too, but it's just nice to have something that's like, I can just drop, drop, drop a pinky in there. It's going to eat. I don't have to worry about it. I know it's going to eat. I'm not going to have to, you know, is it going to die? Is it going to be dead in the morning when I come in to check on it? You know, so. Yeah. Dude, yeah. I have, I have a pair of Mexican black king snakes that were gifted to me. And for all intents and purposes, I'm not enthusiastic about them. But when I throw the fuzzy in there and they just go bananas, I'm like, yeah, that's right. And I'm going to breed them. I'm going to have fun with it, you know? And if I got to give the babies away, which I probably won't because people like them, they're a fun snake. So be it, you know? I'm not doing it for money. I'm not doing it to, I mean, I guess I'm kind of doing it just to say that I did, you know, and have the adventure of it, you know? But again, that's three to five years out. So long haul. And it is sort of a peaks and valleys thing, you know? Like sure. there's, there's no low, like having you know, baby condors hatch out and then you come in and find that two of them died for some reason, you know, that was out of your control. It could have been an organ thing, who knows, whatever. Right. Right. But then the feeling when you get those babies to eat on their own for the first time, it's that's the, that's the peak, you know, that's when it's oh, like, yeah. this is awesome. And sort of the, I don't know what it is about it. It's, it's just, like I said, it's that, it's that challenge. It's that puzzle isn't so easy to just solve. Sure. 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 Know? Sure. Yeah. Egg eaters. That's another good example. Bill said, I see people producing egg eaters and I love mine, but that one scares me. That's uh, also partly why I want to put my efforts towards it, which I've thought about that too. Like I don't ever see anybody producing egg eaters, but I feel like they're probably not that difficult to breed. It's those babies and finding something that they can eat at that size. Like, I mean, you're talking finch eggs at least I would think. Yeah. It's got to, be. I don't know if there's anything even smaller than finch eggs. So, yeah. And that's, if you're equipped to deal with that kind of stuff, then I mean, go for it. If you know, but it's, it's knowing what you're, what you're getting yourself into and signing yourself up for before you. Yeah. You know, I, like uh, those, like those, those gravid candoya that come in, you know, me and Rob Stone were talking about that a couple weeks ago. Like people get them and they, cause, and they know they're gravid and so they buy them. And they think they're going to get all these babies and it's going to be awesome because I'll get them all raised up and I'll sell them and stuff. And then they get them and they can't get any of them to eat. And it's like a real challenge. And uh, it is kind of disappointing because people kind of get them and it's like, oh, you know, either the female died or, you know, half the babies died. We can't get any to survive, whatever. It was fun, you know, yeah. sort of that free prize sort of 
mentality of, you know, right, yeah, right. I didn't have to pay for it. So whatever happens, happens. Or better yet, you know, I, I won the big giant teddy bear at, at the uh, at the arcade, but how much money did I have to dole out? You know, it's, it's kind of the same concept too. Uh, you know, Bill puts up a good thing with the, you know, a null sized eggs. I knew someone locally that did rhombic egg eaters for a long time. And those babies, he had a freezer full of frozen anole eggs. Really? How do you get? Yeah. For searching through people's yards. I've never <laughs> seen anal like I've never I've never come across anole eggs. Oh yeah, like and and it got to the point where what he would do is he, it was a starter, right? So he had a handful of eggs, maybe 15, 20 eggs whatever in the freezer and he would start with a, a frozen frozen thawed anole egg. Um, and if it worked, great. He would try another one. But the goal was to get them on liquid quail egg. Yeah. And they would drink it like a milkshake. And then once that happened, they put some weight on, do a little more, add some the protein powder and vitamin powder and all that stuff and get them going that way. Um, but that's something that I'm not willing to take mm-hmm. on. Yeah. And I guess that like that wouldn't be so dirty. like if I'm for me, you know, the cyania having to assist feed mouse tails. Like to have have baby egg eaters where I'm having to take a you know a very thin syringe and feed them via that some egg until they get up to size like that's not that difficult for me because I'm kind of used to having to do that with some species already but yeah someone who's just got you know a pair of egg eaters at a show and had them together and somehow ended up with eggs and they decided to incubate them and then you know realizing that the babies are just going to be kind of a giant pain in the ass you know I can yeah. see where that that frustration and it's got to be really frustrating too, to have babies that just, you know, you can't do anything for them. You sure. Know, just, I've been there, man. I've yeah. been there too many times, you know, and I, I take, you, you can ask Henry, like I take pride in getting small arboreal stuff to eat, but like even me, man, I'll lose my patience. Uh, I'll, I'll run out of that commodity, so to speak, you know, and that's where, and, and Henry does the same thing. Henry will be working with a baby squam for, 15, 20 minutes and he'll be like, dude, I'm done. You got to take this and I'll take it. And the thing will eat in five seconds, but it wasn't, I wasn't doing anything different than Henry. You know, Mm -hmm. it just, it took that extra five seconds, you know, or whatever it is. Um, Another thing going, just going back to egg eaters, uh, zebra finches. Mm -hmm. I know people that kept zebra finches for years. They didn't give a shit about birds, but those things would pump out two, three eggs every month, every month, every month, every month. And you amass enough of them, you know, just something thinking outside the box, you know. That was that was my experience with the chondro babies. There were nights where I'd get so irritated that I'd be flipping off the rack as I was walking out the room and going, fuck y'all, man. Yeah. Yeah. But it just it's just a persistence thing. And knowing how to how to assist feed the tails and stuff. Is, is a you know it does help especially if you have some that are just not coming around at least it gets something and i know a lot of people are like well let's just feed whole pinkies or pinky heads and it's like i've tried that it does not it, it never works out for me the way it does for everybody else and i don't maybe i'm just doing it wrong but tails are a lot easier and yeah they may not be as nutritious as as you know a whole pinky or pinky head or whatever but you know at least it's something to get that digestive system going and it's it's yeah. a nice it's a placeholder at the very least until right finally come around yeah it's easy now you get used to it and you grab them you got a tail in them in 10 seconds and you just drop them and it's it's over with yeah i mean i know we're going on a departure from the original conversation but like 
Now imagine you're doing, you know, dangerous venomous, right? Baby cobras. Like, you know, I worked for an individual that at one point had arguably the largest collection of breeder albino monocles in the world. Um, we're talking 23 or 24 adult breeder female monocle cobras. And every year, each one of those would have a full clutch. So we're talking those double clutch. Uh, if not that I saw, um, but yeah, not that I saw. Yeah, because kind of surprised me. I would think cobras yeah. would be popping out clutches like crazy. I mean, I'm sure they might on certain certain species, but at least the monocles that I worked with, and we were really we were really good about making sure that it wasn't we weren't breeding too much, you know. Um, but you have 300 baby cobras. And none of them want to eat a pinky, you know? So we would try all kinds of ulterior motives, uh, you know, start off with a, a, a frozen thawed minnow or, or, you know, silver sides. And then you roll your pinky in tuna juice or roll your pinky in silver side juice. And that would usually work pretty well. Um, you know, I recently had my, my female uh, wrinkles that passed and she ate a pinky out of the gate and this is a captive bred animal that was already established already eating and the first meal i gave her a pinky scarfed it and then never ate again and uh i tried uh i tried fish scenting i tried tuna scenting uh, i tried silver side scenting um, i even went so far as to procure african reed frogs of appropriate wow. size and nothing so you know, the cards were against me, whatever. And that's the running joke is, yeah, that's why mom has 20. Yeah. Some of those babies just aren't going to make it, you know? You know what's funny? Speaking of, of that, like I gave, Thomas got one of those cyania. And that was the one that ate whole pinkies, frozen thawed, drop fed, front out the gate. Yeah. I, I don't think I ever had to put a tail in that animal. Ate like a champ every time I put food in there. Sent it to Thomas. And of course, it stops eating. Yeah, but I mean that's also the sh the stress of the transport, new smells, new temperatures. Yeah, but the other the other two went to Terry Burwell. Yeah, and he's got them eaten regularly now too. And those were know, the man. two that were difficult. So it's it's just funny how it yeah, looks like that. No offense to Thomas because we love Thomas; he's our boy. But Terry Burwell is is a savage. <laughs> Let's be real. If somebody's gonna get a funky ass caliber to eat, it's gonna be him. <laughs> well, that's the nice thing too. Is is Terry yeah. lives up in the upstate here in South Carolina. He's near Thomas, so if Thomas has any issues, yeah. I, you know, I I know that Terry can at least he's within the physical proximity of of each other, and he can help him out if he needs to. So yeah, yeah, because I can only do so much over the phone, you know. But yeah, of course, of course. Once I mean that that's just like Alterna, just like the Condros, you know, you get the baby boy going. They're they're rock solid. It's just getting them there, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Unless it's a male. See, there's Thomas. There's He's Thomas. Working. And uh, Bill, uh, <laughs> they they do the um, their live bearing, and the litters are typically between uh, eight and twenty. Usually, they they have been increased up to I think thirty in some, like twenty eight wrinkles. Oh, um, what's crazy is that this is a species of snake that is almost exclusively endemic to South Africa, uh, Lesotho and Swaziland. Right. Uh, but there is a small population on the Southeast border between Zimbabwe and Mozambique. And there's gotta be some kind of land barrier where they're at that does not 
let them get into Mozambique per se. They're strictly on the Zimbabwe side, but the animals that are uh, on record from coming from Zimbabwe only produce four to six offspring or four to seven offspring, which I find very, very interesting. So I got to do more research and find out why that is. Do they get those in, are those native to Botswana? Are those no. in their range? No. I was uh I was gonna get Botswana Paul to write an article on him if he if they were. No, say that shit for me, man. Let me write it. We got a guy in country though, like that's the thing. Yeah, so get a different, get a and different he's, guy. He's the freaking man. He is the man. He is the man. I tried to get him on here. I tried to get him on the podcast. He's like, uh, I don't know, man. I was like, okay. Well, save that article for me after I make the pilgrimage and catch them on my own. Fair enough. <clears throat> Let me find Iper. Yeah. Gets got up in here. Seven yeah, and it's it's yeah, and it's nice too because sort of with these, you know, with the cyania, I've only had the two clutches. It's nice to to learn something new as far as that species in particular, each clutch. I'm I'm tweaking and, and whittling it down and, and fine-tuning things. You know, it's stuff like that, like trying out different incubation methods, trying out what the guys in Europe are doing and sort of seeing what works and then trying it with other species. Like I'm doing those corn snake eggs, very similar to how I had the cyania. Um, the difference is, is I took, so there's the, the APS, the light diffuser. And then instead of having a clump of the spag on one end of the, the box, I just sp spread that out and put the eggs in that, like on top of it, just so they wouldn't, you know, roll around and stuff anytime I had to check them. Um, so I'm going to see if that, you know, what the difference is with that. And that's just nice because it's sort of raised up. And so air can, can circulate, you know? So, all right. So just recap. Oh, Scott's here. In the snake building and over then. Hey, and we got Wi-Fi in the snake building. Oh. Yeah. So I'm in here. Why don't you, dealing with you be a real YouTuber and freehandle one of them there, Mulgas. You want to freehand on Mulga Snake? That's irresponsible. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I'll give you $20. Look at that shirt. You give me $20? I'll, I'll get a fucking Mulga out, but I won't be doing it with a fucking... I'll get, <laughs> I'll get out a fucking diesel of a Mulga if you want a diesel of a Mulga out. Bill that's not a no. Is that what you want? Is that what you want? You want to say diesel yeah, of a Mulga Snake? Yeah, go for it. have got pussy ones over there. All right, give me a sec. Uh, Bill, we have had people turn down being interviewed, or at least I have. Um, and say, yeah, you use these fucking things, too. Oh, what's that? Oh, look at that. Fucking Is that one of those dog. cameras they use when you get a, a, a colonoscopy? Endoscope. Yeah, that's what it is. Oh, yeah, Bill, we've had a few... We've had a few people turn down being interviewed, and it's it's the same thing. It's just they it's just not their thing, and that's fine. I you know I'm very no pressure with it. I ask people if they tell me no, cool. I don't even ask them again. It's just I just leave it be, and I tell them if they ever change their mind, hit me up. Don't you try and bite my face? The headset is really what no, sets it off. It is. Is it? Is that is that what it does? There we go. Good Let's God. see if we can do the whole fucking. God. So that's a mulga snake. You're goddamn right it is. Look at the color. So do you find the bigger ones like that easier to work with than the pygmies? Oh, uh, the pygmies aren't so bad. 
This thing's is every bit of seven foot. No kidding. Gorgeous colors. Might try and eat the fucking camera because it'll try and eat anything, and because it's it's so fucking snake orientated. There we go. Look at that, the big wanker fucking shot. Let's make it look as big as we fucking can. Oh, yeah. Force perspective from hell. I love it. <laughs> you look like a midget. You know. <laughs> That's all right. I mean, but no, but, but seriously. So that thing's is... about as what? So this thing's rounder than a Coke can. Right. And the problem is the reason they're so fucking dangerous at, up here is the same thing why King Cobras are dangerous in captivity in a lot of ways as well is because they're usually in a building full of other fucking snakes. So this oh, thing's yeah. sitting there going, well, I'm just in food mode the whole fucking time. I'm surrounded by food. So, so that's the St. George. I'll pull out a little Darwin. Henry wants you to pull out a coastal taipan. Well, I can pull out a coastal tie if he really wants. Scott, I got to tell you, man, that's one of the best looking mulgas I've ever seen. The thing's awesome. Yeah, just one second. I'm concentrating. Yeah, shut up, Phil. Come here, darling. There you go, Henry. Oh, man, that thing's dark. Oh, I yeah. Ever, I don't think I've ever seen one that dark. So that's a black tully. That's crazy. Oh, I love that white face. Yeah. It's the fucking I, Grim Reaper, dude. I love it. There we go. Such a lean animal. Oh. I like those gauges we're looking at, too. Dude, those cages are fucking stellar. I've been looking at them the whole time. Yeah, and now I get to do the whole wanker thing with fucking cages in the background and shit like that. No? Yeah, you do. Um, you love it. Shut up. I love it. Good... Don't get me wrong. I didn't say I didn't, I didn't, say I didn't love it. <laughs> I didn't say I didn't love it. Scott, how I'll do you prefer faithful. your hooks? This is old faithful here. See how many fucking jerry-rigged fucking zip ties are on this fucking thing? Looks like Billy Hunt made it. <laughs> it so this thing here, I've had this hook for uh, 25 years, and I snapped the end out of it one day. Well, I didn't snap the end of it. A saltwater crocodile snapped the end of it. And so... <laughs> That's like the most Australian it, statement I've probably ever heard. Yeah. <laughs> but it's my favorite hook, right? And like, if you look all the way up at it, I don't know if you can fucking see it. But there's all these little cuts and scratches and shit like that where things have bitten this hook instead of bitten me. My face and fuck good teeth marks in it everywhere and all that sort of shit. And oh, awesome. anyway, so better off better off on the hook than my hand. So but it's my favorite hook. And so I was like, oh well the only way I can fix it is I'll just put silicon on it and then I'll put zip ties to hold it together and then put more silicon over the top and it still works fucking treat. Spins in your hand. It's fucking great. Great little hook. So awesome. You know. Do, 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 do. Give me like a youth. Parenti shirt. Jesus Christ. I know, right? Uh, it's a flabby Rufus, but anyway. Give me you. So that. So there. Is that a pygmy? There for a minute. Be nice. No, no. That's a, a baby Australis. Oh, okay. The top end. 
right? And these are the ones that get to 10 feet long. Wow. These are the 10-foot jobs. And how old is that one? So this is only a fucking little baby, but that's all right. Good God. 12 months old. But I don't feed the shit out of my son. Yeah. I don't know how you guys tell that's not part, man. All those that's the other, other thing you hear people talking about. All the brown snakes and stuff. You showed me a picture of them. I, I probably couldn't. Yeah, you, you guys tell a part all the fucking. Yeah, but you guys can tell a part all the bloody different little um fucking colubrids and shit like that. You know, I, I'd I'd have two bloody hopes in hell trying to work out who's who in the zoo there. So. <laughs> yeah, he's got a point. He's got a point. <clears throat> um. I'll pull out Scarlet. Hang on. Scarlet's a good friend. Scarlet's gorgeous. It's the one snake that you guys always want. A chondro? Nah, better than a chondro. He's <laughs> got some fuck that. Mind you, though, I've seen fucking turds that are better than chondros. So. Nah. <laughs> Those are fighting words. My man. Come here, Scarlet. I mean, darling, you're going to be good, aren't you? Look at that. Oh, yeah. Stop that. Stop that. Stay there. I would I can really put your head it. on you today. If you don't get bit on this live stream, Scott, that'd be great. I'm not going to get bitten. Say, so, I just said the naughty words, too. You did. Don't get bit. Right? Oh, she's great, man. Now, you is this you didn't breed her this year, did you? Nah, she didn't get bred this year. Okay. Gave her a year off. Okay. Oh. She's just real twitchy because of food at the moment. Right. Uh, awesome. How could you not want these things? They're like an indigo, but better. Yeah, I was gonna say it's <laughs> like a like a indigo with a with a racer personality. Yeah. That so, methed out twitchiness. Yeah. I like yeah. it. Now I'll pull out. I'll, I'll pull out one other thing for you. What's the biggest addy you've ever seen? Oh, jeez. I haven't Probab seen any probably, big ones. Probably fifteen to twenty inches, maybe. <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> Give me a second. <clears throat> How does thirty-six down? Wow. See it and say so you can't just say it, can you? You gotta fucking sell it. Uh, give me a sec. Are you allowed to keep koalas over there legally? I don't want a fucking koala, silly fucking things. You know, they're nasty fucking things as well. They they seem like they they're a could, horrible thing to like work sloths, with, like they could really mess you up if they wanted to. They settle down you. Their eyes creep me out. What? Sloths or koala? Koalas. Fucking paper. Death adders. Don't fucking mix. Me, you. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. You go on there so I can support your body without you flipping the fuck out. There's a chunk. Look at that. There we go. Which species is that? Oh, that's a fucking death. Yeah, that's which? Hawkeye. Oh, okay. Yeah, 
Yeah, you'd mentioned that they get the largest, right? <clears throat> Apparently. Yeah, these are well, these are the largest. That's a oh look at those bands, man. Well. Those bands are just uh, awesome. Get up there, there you go, there's a head. There's a fucking head on that. Oof. That thing will smash a medium rat. No say, dramas at all. No kidding. Awesome. So, fun again. In you go. Um, good way to hold snakes if you you can use your bin lid to hop, pick them up and put them on that. That way it's nice and safe and you don't have to try and hold them in your fucking hand. Um, Alright, you want to say well, well, Of course. You took the words right out of my mouth. How how are those babies doing? So I haven't fucking shed yet. How long before they have how long typically before they have their first shed? Um uh, usually within a week. Okay. Smells awful fucking regurgy. Ew. that's a very it's like one of those smells you will never forget like yeah. you will always yeah. know it's the sweet death yep oh I can think of other words for it it's fucking horrible <laughs> disgusting oh man mm. fuck all I can smell fucking good look at that animal Jesus that head. Yeah. Now, is that the exact specimen from the book or no? From yeah, the that's the one from the book. Oh, dude. Yeah, that's the one on the cover of the book. Love it. It's Ty's favorite snake, man. It, I don't blame her. Yeah. Um, you got any night tigers in there? Let me just grab it out. So that's the one of the. What do you want to say? You got any irregularities? What did you? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can do that in a second. Yes. I can do that for you in a second. So how's that for a floody? Wow. Ooh. I feel really bad for the people that are going to be listening to this and not watching it. Well, that gives them incentive to watch. It does. You guys can just fast forward to like the hour 45 mark, and that's when all this. (laughs) Uh, What do you say? Irregularis. Night Tiger. Yeah, I'll make that happen in one second. Or we'll just pull out. So you guys keep talking about regosis, right? Right. And how you've got nice Tajaras over there and shit like that. Yeah. Nice, according to us, apparently. Right, <laughs> right. Over there. I know. I was walking into an insult there. Yeah. Oh my God! Look at Ooh, that thing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure you can really see that, dude. Ah, uh, look at the tipping and that cream belly. Oh my God! They look like they're quilted almost, like someone knit them. Like the yes, yes. It's like a. It's honestly, it's a snake tapestry. Ah. Uh. Yeah, it's really, a fucking nice snake, man. Awesome. Um, so that's a little Dajara. 
Uh, yeah, do you? See, steam of tubs, mate. Lots and lots of steamers still. Love yeah, it. man. I went. I was in Walmart today, and I, I was going to grab some more, but they were all gone. I think people cleaned them out for the Easter holiday. Oh, dude, dude, that thing's on fire. That oh, thing God. is flaming on fire. Well, the name means fire, considering that's Pyrrhus. Oh yeah. Mm. Is that a uh, is that a Midwest tongs uh, neonate hook? Yeah, so that's that's one of the old style Midwests. Yeah, about twenty years ago, that one. Awesome. So I've got two two of the Midwest jobs. Um, did you did you get the double sided one thinking it would be good, and then you snapped the one side off because that's what all of us did? Nah, that's the so that's the other fucking the ultra light mini hook. So that's the deep one, right? And then I've got the shallower one there. So yeah, that one there. It's the newer one. I'm not a big fan of it. I prefer the old one. Do you prefer yeah. the wider versus more narrow in general with hooks? Um, so my favorite hook that I use in the room is that one, which is stainless steel. Right, but I'll show you my field herping hook. Matt Mo says, we're not so, worthy. <laughs> we're not worthy. So this is my field herping hook. Right? God. So wow. instead of being... There we go. So it's two pieces of oh, eight mil stainless like steel that. rod yeah. welded together. Right? Fillet weld all the way down, across the back, tacked at the mm -hmm. top. Right? And then fillet welded on the inside. Then it's got a chamfer. Oops. So you can see how it's got a rounded chamfer here. Yes. All right. And then it's soldered. It's soldered into a golf club handle. All right. That thing there, fuck, it almost picked me up. And I'm a fat bastard. So um, <laughs> it's, it's as strong as hell. Right. But it's fairly thin. Right. So you can see how, how well my finger sits inside mm -hmm. that. Right. Because it's got that rib on it, when you hook up a brown snake or something like that, it actually catches on the scales a little bit and retards the movement a bit. So you it's get half drag. an extra second when you're, you're dealing with fast-moving elapids. So there's a little bit more drag on it, and it works as a fucking truth. So, it's probably got a decent um, weight to it too, especially for yeah. flipping stuff. Got a little more, a little more heft to it. Well, I reckon you could fuck somebody up if you hit them over the head with it. It's also a weapon. <laughs> so, yeah. you know. But it's only got a... Oh, the handle is only about what eighty inches. So was at 30, 30 inches from tip to end. So it's not a not a huge hook, but it also means that you don't have that huge counterbalance when you're trying to lift something up as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can still lock your wrist in halfway up, so at least you can pick something up some decent weight. But you know, it, it works a fucking treat. So awesome. um, using Bill that in a hoop bag and happy days. Bill said, "I think it's a sign of the level of professionalism that we all see that." Uh, run of absurd snakes and then nerd on tools. <laughs> yep. We should know. I always want to know what what people are wanting. Like I'm always yeah, so curious about what tools people are the Yeah, I, I can confidently say I've never seen a field hook like that, and I honestly I want one now. <laughs> so it's honestly, it was the best thing I ever did. 
So you, you did all the welding and the and soldering. And I just welded it up myself. Yeah. Yeah, I just Excellent. welded it up. Fucking took me about half an hour. So it's not exactly hard. Now, you want an irregularis, don't you? Yeah. Uno Memento, full of all. It just went from six That's the eight. extent of my Spanish, by the way. <laughs> well, you're going to make them full screen for this one, Justin. I, I do. So, don't try and bite me, you fucking shit of it in. Yeah, watch. Of all the stuff he, yeah. he, he, right. he, so he, gets, like he gets bit by the fucking Boiga. <laughs> there we go. Ooh, that one's a shitty night tiger because it's coming up for a shed. That's a fucking blind snake. Oh, man. That yeah. thing is screaming. So that's horrible because it's come up. You can see it's in blue. I don't know if you can see it or not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just bit the fucking camera. <laughs> <laughs> Stupid thing. <laughs> oh, bless you. bloody hell. He's allergic. Um, <laughs> don't you try and do that. I was th- half thinking about getting out of Ferenci, and then I thought, no, nah, I'll get fucking bitten again on camera. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That was fucked up. Oh, there's a brown fruit snake. Give me you. How many do you have? Uh, oh, we just got a pair. Fucking things. We bred them and we fucked the eggs because I didn't realize she was grabbing. Oh. Yeah. Fucking. Hey, don't, don't you do that. No, no, no. That's my fingers. No. Fucking the boar or snake. Since I just so want to climb it. wanted the hook better than I did. There Be the tree. Yeah. Oh, dude, the candy cane. Next time you come to the States, cool, just shove, shove some of those in your underwear and bring them on over. No. Oh, okay. bands on that. That's a half decent one. Is that the male or the female? Uh, that's the girl. Yeah. Smoking. <laughs> Bill, says, uh, Bill says to hold off on any of the monitors until you go on his lizard podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, shoot me the invite, Bill, and I'll make it happen. Uh, you know, it's crazy. Those have a ton of variability, you know, but just in Australia, just between like the night tigers and then there's there's some other ones that don't have nearly as much banding because I was on iNaturalist getting a bunch of photos and stuff from my little boiga log that I have and seeing the variation across Australia is just it's really yeah. crazy. You have some that are well, that look like and then you see, you know, those guys and they now it's behaving like a fucking boiga. Silly oh, yeah. Bite and run. Oh just yeah, yeah it's about to shoot off or shoot all over me so it can go yeah. back. Here you go. That's what mine do. Just take oh. swings, and after I think you're gone, take off. Those man, those baby cyania. It's a trip how how pugnacious they are. Like they have no fear. Those little suckers will square up to you nine times out of ten. It's pretty adorable. Thank you, bot. These things are fucking a bite and run too. 
We haven't seen one of these before. Hey, get back here. <clears throat> can you see that? No, I'm not sure if you can see that. You probably can't yeah. see the yellow spots all over. Yeah, it's pretty blurry, man. What is it, a tiger? Stop for a second. Ah, that's a butler snake. Sudecus butleri. Another species of Sudecus I didn't know existed. Look at that. These are fucking bloody things, too. Right? They keep flying. Nice snakes, though. Yeah, it honestly doesn't look like it's giving you that much of a hard time. Uh, might be the way that I'm handling it, too. Yeah. There might be some sort of water. There might be a little bit of skill involved. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, I'm looking Just at the them on Google shit, right mate. now. Those are cool. Yeah, I'm also sure that, you know, honestly, having the phone on the table and giving them that false sense of them being able to get to the table, I think helps a lot, too, you know. Yeah, well, I've got the phone in, like, a little stand, and it makes life a bit easier. But um, I'll try this thing. It's usually a fucking piece of shit. Henry so asked if you have Gattatus with blue in it. Yes. That's what people think of when they think of tiger snake, though. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, look at that. So do you. Scott's the real Tiger King. It's it's a real tiger snake, man. Look at that. Oh, dude. Now, as far as relationship, where do Colette snakes fall in with those guys? The tigers? Yeah. Uh, they're very distantly related. Okay. Don't you do that. What happens with these is they start, after a little bit, they just wig out. They try to chew and fucking everything. Uh, including people. So he behaved yourself. Then I'm surprised. Um, yeah. Oh, there we go. So there's a couple. Oh, hang on. One of these silly things. Oh, yeah. There's so the these, are the, these are the crystal clear systemers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's my handle like on the. Uh, but I don't use it half the fucking time. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure how the hell I'm going to show you that. Oh, is that one of the babies? Yeah, oh, hang on. Is it, <laughs> is it the baby Gutatis or one of the deathies? No, nah, no, nah, this is one of those. Three gram fucking specials. Jeez. Oh, wow, dude. It's so tiny. And that's a big one. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, hey, so have they put on any weight despite them not eating or shedding? Um, not sure yet. I've only weighed them once. So. Oh, okay. Oh, fuck. So, anyway. Alrighty. Um, anything else you really want to say, or is that, that, that good I don't enough? know, Henry. Henry really wanted to see the guitarist. 
Oh, fuck. Oh, hang on. Um, but you can tell Henry no. We tell him no all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If it's a, if it's a handful, we get it, man. No, I'm not going to say no. Nah, uh, You're welcome, Henry. These things are eating twice a week at the moment, so they fucking eat and shit and eat and shit and eat shit. Yeah, I swear I'll by those boxes that. now, man. I love those things. Do you guys talk to your snakes as well? Uh, yeah. Yeah. It usually yeah. involves me saying, hey, asshole, that? stop. Stop it, dickhead. You know, we're any combination of the handful. Mine usually goes more like, whoa, 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 whoa. Or don't do it, prick, is a pretty common one, too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, it's going to freeze up just as. <laughs> yeah, it's frozen. <laughs> Damn it. It. Nope. Yeah, it's frozen on my end. The satellite must have gone around the corner. Yeah, right. Damn. That's all you get, Henry. Wait, I hear him. Scott, if you can hear us, you're frozen, buddy. Damn. You know if he's keeping Strophurus geckos at all? I don't think he has any geckos, to be honest. No, I thought he might have had some knobtails. I know he loves them because he's a brilliant, brilliant man. But oh, dude, I once after Meeker's article on Strophurus. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, those things are so cool. And dude, I've been seeing them now, man. People are actually producing them mm-hmm. in consistent, appropriate numbers. You know. And you know they're going to be at Daytona, so you might as well just save your shekels. I just don't know if I want to deal with bugs. And I, yeah, but I just, dude, it's two geckos, man. It's not that big a deal. Still. You like how I assume? There, there he goes. I'm sure he'll hop back in. Well, ladies and gentlemen, the wonderful Mr. Scott Iper. Skyper. The Skyper. Plus, I got the beaded's coming, so my lizard fix may be, may be satiated. Yeah, but you're not gonna you're not gonna let Ellie hold the beaded and let it get. I wouldn't mad. let her hold the strophers if I had them. Those things are expensive, dude. Ah, come on, man! It's a little gecko. She can have her a little gargoyle or crested or something that she can take care of. But yeah, and just for the record. Colettes are Sudecus and tigers are Notecus. Totally different genus. All that is Australian venomous stuff is the same to me. Aussie Lapids rule. There's just always something I'm seeing that I'm like, I didn't know that existed. Yeah, well, the, the other problem too is that there's so many different phenotypes and there's so many different subspecies. It's It's overwhelming and then you get people that are like oh yeah yeah that's a dugite and then you drive you know four hours down the road they're like no those aren't dugites we don't call them that so jake hansen was supposed to send us some vegemite to try yeah but i don't i don't think it ever happened i bet you i could find some on amazon i'm of course you could slightly terrified to try it 
Well, all right. So the, I've had it. I'm not a fan. I've tried it a couple different ways. Um, I really think it's something you got to like grow up with. Um, but my whole thing was my uncle told me, he's like, you do not lather it on like cream cheese. You do like a thin spread. A little bit goes a long way. A little bit goes a long way, right? Dabble, so. do you? Mm-hmm. Isn't it black? It's jet black. I mean, it has like a brownish tinge to it. Like when you spread it thin. Like molasses. Like molasses. Yeah, exactly. What's exactly. it taste like? <laughs> yeast. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Bitter yeast. <laughs> so that was good, man. I'm really glad that Scott joined in. That was pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. I actually, uh, I bought his Venomous Snakes book uh, of Australia. Um, and uh, I know he's shipping that sooner than later. Actually, I think Ty's shipping it sooner than later. So I'm excited about that. I can't wait to get it. And now now I've seen the snake from the cover of the book. I'm with I you. I think those are my favorites out of out of all oh, the yeah. yeah. Well's eyes. Those are, those are yeah. I and like that debate. Yeah, dude. we had Scott on, but I'm with you on that, man. And dude, pirates are gorgeous. The the bands on the Hawkeye are gorgeous. And even those prolongus that he showed us last time. Those are gorgeous too, but dude, that black band Wells Eye is just oof. Mm -hmm. oof. That's just that black face. That black face, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. And I think it's it's interesting because it's that matte color too. It's not glossy. It's like yeah, it's cute. It's yeah. Yeah. I uh, after our last after our last episode and we were talking about deathies, um, I, I put some feelers out to a couple of buddies because I really want I'd like to get the new guineas again if I can, you know. And it wasn't so much of oh don't worry they're there they're expensive, they're just not around. They're just not available. I've so, only seen like I said I've only seen Rugosis and the 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 jars. Yeah, I've, I actually I've have never uh, seen any other species for sale. Well, here I have a. Uh, I don't know if you want to show them or not. Um, I have some pictures of my old Lavis and Rugosis from years back. Um, I'm actually going to send them to Scott. I keep forgetting to. Um, these are old cell phone photos. I'm going to I'm going to try and doctor them up a little bit because they are a little fuzzy, um, and like kind of mess with the colors if I can. There. Uh, Share this. So that's one of the red Lavis from New Guinea. Mm-hmm. And uh, I exceptionally like that animal a lot because of the jet black tears. Um, yeah, I think you've sh we've shown that on like one of the early episodes of this. We yeah. were talking about those. That yeah. looks familiar. I I've probably shown these pictures before. I just uh, this is me clinging on to the. <laughs> the, the memory, faint memory. That's another one. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, and Looks see, like, like if a if a red spitter was a little in a viper form. Yeah, that's kind of what that reminds me of, just that tint. Yeah, and uh, look at it. I mean, we we also kept them horribly wrong, and they they did fine. But like, I, knowing what I know now, you know, I was twenty two or maybe twenty one when I had these things. So, what the hell did I know? You know. And there's, but I mean, obviously that species is very adaptable because of given how widespread they are, like that genus. You know, right. clearly they're they're pretty tolerant of of whatever you throw at them. Yeah, 
So there's a Rugosis. That's a nice one, dude. That's probably the nicest one I've seen. Yeah. All the ones I've seen were kind of underwhelming, at least what I've seen for sale. And and these these snakes all still had jungle skin. I never took pictures of them, you know, weeks or months <laughs> later. So Bill said, pretty sure I'm a cigar lightweight. Smoke the Unforgiven, and I think it kicked my ass. <laughs> <laughs> nice, Bill. So that was actually a blue Lavis. Um, I just thought that was a cool picture because yeah. they, they do that that ambush thing, you know. <clears throat> that's a king snake, and that's another Lavis. So it's interesting that that one's much more golden. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I'm pretty sure that one shed in the bag on its way over here, mm-hmm. so it's still dirty, but but it's not as uh, caked on as some of the other ones. It's not fresh off the boat. Jungle right. skin. Yeah. So good stuff, man. I had pictures of the blue ones, uh, blue Lavis, the, like that one in that's buried in this in the uh, Aspen. But uh, I don't know where they are. I gotta find them. Like, I think they're on my old phone. I had uh, Brian Fisher, who got one of the Chondro babies from me forever ago, sent me an updated picture of his. It looks really good. Oh, nice. I thought I saved it, but maybe I didn't. Guess not. Alan Stevens keeps tempting me with Aki's, damn it. Just Just pull the trigger, man. Look, you'll get the Aki's. And you'll get crickets for the Ackies, and then you'll already be getting crickets so you can get the, the golden tails. Just saying. I don't, I don't know. Look, how many mouths do you have to feed already? 60? 40-ish. Right, so what's another four or five? It's different when I can't just pull it out of the freezer. Yeah. Or just crack an egg in a bowl like I will with the beaded's. That's true. That's true. Scott said internet stuffed in the future. Yeah. <laughs> he is in the future. Now Mike Kosicki's telling me to get him too. It's just it's funny. Alan Stevens will, will randomly send me pictures of Aki's. Just little little compilations of pictures he's taken of his recently of them like breeding and them in little piles and there's like neonate setups and stuff, and he's like you know you want them, and I'm like, I totally do, but I don't know where to put them. Well, it's like a, a friend of mine got Buddha's Codalis, and he has no he has no aspirations of ever selling me any or giving me any, but he just sends me pictures of it like that's just bask, wrong, just basking on a rock. It's like Buddha's Codalis, and they're like a thousand dollars. Yeah, yeah, so, so cool though. That's probably one of my favorite Buddha's easily. Yeah, yeah, dude, they're and they're awesome. It's freaking awesome. All right. Well, I'm about to piss myself. Okay. I'm calling it a night, boy. Yes. Well, thank awesome you. Yeah, this is a great episode. Thank you all to all who watched and or listened. Thank you to Scott. Thank you to Scott. Most definitely. Tip of the hat, sir. Tip of the hat. Thank you to Puget Sound Pythons for making this happen. Oh, yeah. The fine uh, people of Puget Sound Pythons. You will hear us again on Thursday night. I have no idea who we have coming on the show. Uh, I have a couple people lined up. Cool. Yeah. All right, y'all. Thanks for kicking it with us. Uh, join the Snakes and Stogies group so you can see the raffle that will be going down tomorrow. It will yeah. be a good one. We promise you that. 
yeah, cigars, equipment, apparel, you know, helping snakes, helping humans, charitable cause, awesome products, rock and roll. See you later. Bye.